Hey everybody, welcome to a post-Thanksgiving episode of Frame Trap. Woo! Uh, it's been a while since I've seen you guys, since we've had a hours-long conversation about <laughs> video games. Uh, specifically with Damiani, I can't remember the last time you've been on Damiani. Yeah, I think it was the year 2016. 2016? <laughs> yes. Might be. Uh, but okay. we've, got, we've got a lot of good Damiani and Brandon Jones stuff to talk about. Um, but I haven't also really chatted with you guys about your Thanksgiving. And so, basic question, how were your holidays? Uh, okay. Okay? Uh-oh. <laughs> What'd you do, Damiani? I was expecting super do? chill, normal answers. <laughs> no, so I like I, I don't go, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving. I, mm. I haven't been home Thanksgiving for forever. This actually yeah. came up in our Q&A recently. That's all the, <laughs> like, I feel like I talked about this recently, but I, we did. Uh, no, I... I do I have just, those weird de- deja vu moments where <laughs> it's yes. like... Well, it's like... <laughs> I haven't talked about this with this group of allies, but I have talked about this on this one yeah. video. I'm not sure how many people have seen Yeah, I, I go through that yeah, all the time. Yeah, I wasn't even sure if I talked about it with you guys or if I talked right. about it with my friends or something. I was like, right. I mean, outside friends, I was like, uh, I yeah. don't remember. <laughs> Which reality? <laughs> but uh, no, basically, I, I did go hang out with friends and stuff, and I was gone like for a few days, and that, that was fun. Um, I think it was a little too, I was gone a little too long. Like I think it just could have just been like, a single day thing. Like, Got dragged out a little too long, uh. but uh, got to play a lot of games. Uh, played a lot of, or spent a lot of hours gaming when I got back, and good stuff there. But yeah, fun stuff. Okay, all right. How about you, Brandon? Very chill. Nice. Uh, for, very fortunate to have my folks uh, close by, about an hour, a little over an hour away, and so I uh, went home for the fam. Uh, had a, had a little had a little tragedy right before Thanksgiving, but I feel like mentioning it because I've had a little a little distance. Sure. I, I think it is worth mentioning, but uh, lost Amanda's grandfather on the day before Thanksgiving no. at the ripe age of 100. Wow. Robert Hall, wow. well done. Uh, it was sad, actually, not to uh, to make it out. They she, she went to Florida to celebrate his 100th birthday. So uh, it was like right before the holidays. Like, ah. Uh. So, yeah, we just we, we took it easy. But uh, sure. So, 100, man. We could only yeah. could only wish. 100 years of playing video games? Mm. Sounds good to me. I'm feeling Jeez. very conflicting things. Like you, It's yeah. never good to hear that, that right. you lost somebody, but 100 years, like that's that's yeah. an achievement. That's awesome. Yeah. So, long, long full life. Um, for me, I the last couple of years with Thanksgiving in particular, uh, my girlfriend and I are kind of fish out of water because we've decided that like we can't afford slash don't want to take time off for both Thanksgiving and then immediately Christmas. So let's just go super hard on Christmas (laughs) and not go anywhere for Thanksgiving. And so it ends up just being us. And like, we don't know what to do. Like we don't, we're, we don't ever cook like a big Thanksgiving meal and so we ended up going and getting conveyor belt sushi because yes. like, that was open yes. and uh, I, I told this story on, on one of my streams but I don't know if you've been to Kula recently but it had been forever since I've gone and Kula is this oh. uh, conveyor belt sushi place in Los Angeles and there's a lot of stuff that I could say about it but like this new thing that they have or at least new to me is once you're done with the sushi, you slide your plates into the slot that's at your table, and they, like, make a game out of it. Oh, yeah. Like, on the screen, you've got this little cute man who's <laughs> taking on a giant squid, and he's like, please put in more plates so I can kill this <laughs> the, the giant squid! And so, like, as you eat more, and we ate a lot, we put a ton of plates in there, and we kill the, the squid, and then... I've never seen that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, well, so we, we ate a lot. And uh, then after that, there's a snake that you battle, and you what? do the same thing. And then if you beat the snake, and I don't know if it's, like, randomized at all, I don't know if this is just what we saw, but uh, you're supposed to, there's, like, these balls, these, like, 
Oh. Gotcha these balls up top. Oh, the gotcha bone. Yeah, the gotcha bone balls. And they'll like roll down, like, here's your reward. Thanks oh, for nice. putting in all these plates. And ours was broken, so we didn't get that ball. Uh, but oh. still a cool idea. Uh, you didn't demand, they didn't have like the balls they, they, in the no, box in the back. No, they had like a bunch of balls in there, it just like didn't come Won't down. Come out, oh. But we didn't, we didn't care that so, much. So I gotta ask, because you got way further than I've ever seen. Yeah. Are there any like skill trees or anything? Like basically, <laughs> no. yeah. so if you take, you know, like tuna sushi, you get a. Oh, no. replay value are we talking here? Yeah. My memory of Character creation? <laughs> my memory, no, it's not, it's not anything in place. My memory of it is you fight the squid and like a giant circle appears on the screen. Oh, that's And like terrific. you did it and then you just move on to the snake. So, well, it's like, isn't there, I'm sorry, isn't there a World of Warcraft like diner in like China or something? Isn't there like a Warcraft? A cafe? Yeah, like a Warcraft Scott, cafe. There has to be one. It wouldn't surprise somewhere. me, but I don't there know. There has to be one somewhere. I, I just love if, like, when you order something, you have to denote Alliance or Horde. And oh. they, like, and they like, like, like chart it like, yeah. in the store. That's a good idea. So you, like, walk in, you're just like, oh, I was going to yeah. get my Orgrimmar twist today, but maybe right. I'll get, you know, uh, something else. Yeah. You get special get menu items thing. depending on, like, who's winning. Even it out. That oh, that's a good cool. idea. I mean, Horde would be on top of all the time. What are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> People always talk about how there's two factions in World of Warcraft, and I always thought that was silly. Like, there's, yeah. there's only one option. What are you I was, doing? I, I was Alliance the whole time I ever played, and we, what? Didn't, we didn't exist. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. Brandon, I thought you were a Horde brother. and I, no. I guess, Alliance I guess That's right. Night Elf. Night Elf. Hunter. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I did knew that. Maybe I just wanted to exist in that reality yeah. where you were Horde. Because every other ally that plays WoW oh, is yeah. Horde. Yep. Okay. All right. You're an honorary horde. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm also excited for this frame trap for, for two reasons. And I think some people are going to roll their eyes, but it's it's a big deal to us. It's a big deal to me. And I'm also excited because all three of us have played it, which doesn't get to happen very often on frame trap and won't happen with a lot of these other games. But with this game in particular, uh, we're talking about Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. And <laughs> my reaction to Animal po Pocket Camp Animal Crossing Pocket Camp made me realize how desperately hungry I was for a new Animal Crossing. Yeah. Because it released first in Australia, and I was like, do I, do I go through the process of doing this? Do I then switch over when it comes out in the States? And then it came out like... We, before they re released Pocket Camp, they had this like find your perfect friend little game that you can play. And I played that and I was like, why don't you, the game is ready. You just released the game. <laughs> and I was just re really angry at how much I had missed Animal Crossing because I think New Leaf was 2012. Um, and I know they had Happy, oh, yeah. uh, Happy Home Designer, which I didn't yes. really play uh, in between there. And I've heard good things about, but uh, New Leaf was like the last proper one. And this is not a proper Animal Crossing. Uh, I think that is the first thing that should be said, and we'll get into. Um, but, Jones, I know I'm enthusiastic about Animal Crossing. I know that you're just as enthusiastic, if not more enthusiastic about Animal Crossing. What is your experience with Pocket Camp, and, and what is it really? It feels, you know how every Animal Crossing, they have the gimmick? They're like, now there's the store, but you have to leave your town to go to the store. Mm -hmm. There's always like one new thing, new twist that they add. This game feels like the twist without the game. This mm. is like, it's only the twist. Uh, and the twist being camping, uh, it was something, obviously you're, you're in nature in any Animal Crossing game. It's not like previous Animal Crossings were devoid of fishing and, and catching bugs and uh, experiencing, you know, the wild. And, and uh, uh, with uh, New Leaf, I don't know if that was the first time they added the island with like Cappy, who would take you on his boat and go down. I, I remember no, if they had that. I didn't really get into the Wii Animal Crossing. It was definitely in the, uh, it was yeah, in the GameCube either. one. 
because we did something with the the eShop cards or whatever. Like we did it was it was definitely it was definitely before New Leaf. I know it was definitely before New Leaf. Like the whole yeah. idea of like there's another area to go to and see what's over there. Like I'm used to that in Animal Crossing. So like I think the the basic structure of it was familiar to me when I first jumped in, mm-hmm. but I was not into this when I first started Ooh. playing it. I have it is warmed on me every single day. Every day uh-huh. I wake up and jump back in. I'm like, "All right, now I'm starting to get I hooked on it. But it's interesting because that's like the opposite kind of of, of most mobile games. Right. Is that they get you right away, you know, being like, oh, this is fantastic. I love this. There's more, more, more. And they keep giving me stuff. And oh, I have so many tickets. I can just spend on speeding up all sorts of stuff. And then you run out of tickets. Right. And then that trickle slowly dries. Same thing with, you know, RPGs. You get to getting to level 10 and getting to level 20 are two completely different things. Yeah. Well, I think part of the problem for me, like getting it, like the, the, the beginning of it being a little hard to get into, period was because I don't know if they, Nintendo or whoever designed this game, like the actual development team behind it at Nintendo, th- really knew about the appeal of like mobile games, like the the, the, the instant gratification and like the, the need to play in like small bites. Because I felt like the beginning of that game, the, the kind of tutorialized version of it, yeah. was a little too drawn out for me for a mobile game. Sure. I was like, there's just, I, I, I know this sounds bad, but it felt like there's just too much being thrown at me. And in the time, I was like, okay, I, this is so slow paced. Can we pick pick up the speed here? I yeah. I, I just wanted to go to like I, I was like I'm, I'm have I saved like I'm still I'm really bad at this. I'm still at the point where I don't know if mobile game has saved my progress or not. Right, despite right. the icon, <laughs> I'm like paranoid yeah. to close it out. I'm like, is it gonna erase sure. something? Like I'm like I'm, that's like how like I'm getting old or something. Like it's, I'm just not in tune with that stuff right. anymore. You're trying to stick a memory card in your phone. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's like uh, how do I back up the save? But anyway. I was trying to play it in my car, uh, waiting for for, uh, for something to get done with my car, which was getting a jump started last night. And I had about like, it took about like forty minutes of waiting. And by the time the guy came around with the the truck to jump up my car, I just finally visited the last part of the initial like area. So I was like, forty minutes, like. Who's really got forty minutes to like do all this at the beginning? And I, 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 some people might love that, but to me, I mean, there wasn't anything bad about the actual content I was seeing. It was just the pacing was so slow for a mobile game. Right. Yeah. I, I actually think that's a really good point. Um, I do want to take a, a bit of a step back for people who aren't familiar okay. uh, with Animal Crossing, but even more so Pocket Camp because it is definitely its own thing. Uh, the the loop that you kind of get into, you have this campsite that you can customize and you can buy items and different items are available at the shop at different times. Um, but really the big loop of it is you'll have these different animals spread around these different areas, um, like an area where you go and you catch bugs, an area where you fish, an area where you pick up fruit, and you'll go around and they'll be like, hey man, uh, I want to be your friend, but I need this stuff. I need three monarch butterflies. And so you go and you capture the butterflies to give it to them. And then their friendship level increases. And the more that their friendship level increases, the more that your level increases and you'll get money and you'll get expanded inventory, which you very desperately need very quickly. And you'll get leaf tickets, the currency that you can spend real money on to get. And, and crafting supplies. And crafting supplies. So you supplies. can't just go get steel somewhere. You have to get steel mm-hmm. as a reward for giving people other stuff. Right. Right. Uh, that is a very good point to bring up. And these leaf tickets that you can spend real money on, or I do think Pocket Camp has actually done a very good job of giving you uh, a lot of leaf tickets. I'm swimming. Yeah, right yeah which is nice. Well, and it it's, like, it's, yeah. it's a little bit more generous than I was expecting it to be. Um, and with these leaf tickets, you can either... You can, there's exclusive things that you can buy, which they, right out the gate, you can get K.K. Slider's stool, 
um, and a Tom Nook chair, and they will come into your camp. What's nice is they don't, you can only have a certain number of animal friends in your camp at any given time. Uh, KK Slider and Tom Nook do not count toward that total, nor do they give you any sort of like crafting supplies or any other benefit. They're just there. You can hear KK Slider strum the guitar. You can talk to them. They'll say stuff. It's good. Um, but the the loop that you get into, kind of like Damiani was saying, is it's like on a two and a half hour, three hour reset where every every chunk of time every like three hour chunk of time it will switch out people that are scattered throughout the map and so you go you complete all of those requests you wait you do it again um every other reset you get a refresh on like the clothing shop and the uh the like the nook shop where they're selling so items. that's like six hours i didn't actually right. know that clock right officially. yeah okay. it's it's every other for that one got it um but like damiani was saying i've been playing it a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm level 28, I yeah. believe. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I'm 14? Yeah, I'm level 28. <laughs> and I think it's... I, I'm enjoying it for reasons that I'm going to get into in a second, but I do agree where it's like, okay, the reset is happening, time to do all of my stuff. It just takes a little bit too long because sometimes it's nice and sometimes I have everything that everyone needs. But there's once in a while where it's like, okay, well, I don't have this thing and I go to the the spot where I need to collect it and it's not there so I have to wait around. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like a five-minute check-in. It's normally like a 20-minute check-in, which can feel for something that you kind of want to keep updated on all the time. It can feel like a little bit too much. Um, But the other thing is... There, there are additional elements that you need to consider. Uh, and the two that I want to talk about is the quarry. So mm-hmm. you can go and you can spend 20 leaf tickets to get into this place, which will get you a decent amount of bells and some rare crafting materials. Don't ever spend 20 leaf tickets on this. It's not worth it. Instead, just friend everybody that you meet and beg them, because if you get five people to agree to help you get into the quarry, uh, you get in for free. But you can only get in... For free, once per day. I was surprised they didn't nag me about friends that had done that. Mm-hmm. I thought I would sign in and they'd be like, hey, Brad asked if you could get into the quarry, go help him. Yes. You really got to dig for those. Yes, and mm-hmm. so this is something yeah. I like. I think it's initially frustrating, but it's something that I do like about Pocket Camp. It is not, it, unlike some other mobile games, it really doesn't get in your face like, hey man, Brain wants to get in the quarry, <laughs> yeah. we're going to interrupt your whole game to let you know that Brain wants to get in the quarry, you want to help him, right? Like, it doesn't do that. You just, in order to help people, you have to open your friends list, there will be a nice little shovel icon by their name, you can click and you can help them. And in general, it's just not invasive about that stuff. Yeah. Like, it's not constantly spamming Cause, you. Because what's interesting is, a lot of the stuff that you've been describing so far is classic mobile game yes. stuff. That is Facebook. <laughs> right. That get your get give us money or mm. get 10 friends to do a thing right. is very, very Facebook. But the thing that I like about Pocket Camp... And way more intrusive. <laughs> ...is there's no way for you to chat with other people. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that when I log in, there's not somebody like, hey, man, I noticed you didn't help me get in the quarry. What's up with that? And so... Yeah, no mailbox or anything about that. That's right. Nice. There's, no, there's no mailbox or anything like that. Um, and there's no... Uh, like... Your friends are only really interacting with you when you want to interact with them. And so I think that kind of looseness makes it okay and why I'm like willing to just friend like everybody because it doesn't become grading like that. It doesn't become tedious like sorting through all of that stuff. There's there's relatively a little amount to sort through. The one thing that I don't like is 
if, if you want to enlist help for the quarry and getting in, you have to go one by one through your friends list. There's no like, just ask everybody. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is which is a little unfortunate. Um, but the other thing that I is actually my favorite aspect of Pocket Camp is the market box. So. A lot of times you'll run in, you'll have an excess of items. So you'll have two trees that like double up on fruit. Uh, like mine, I have I have more peaches and more pears, mm-hmm. um, and only one apple tree, cherry tree, that sort of thing, orange tree. And so I'm selling that stuff, and I love and I. This is one of my favorite things about Animal Crossing in general. I love trying to figure out the economy. I love trying to be like, all right, is it better to sell a lot at a low price or a high amount? At a high price and experimenting with what people will buy and having different things in my market box at different times. It's like, it's so much fun and you don't have to spend a lot of time doing it. Like you just very naturally get a lot of items that it is then kind of fun trying to play into this economy, which is really, really cool. Um, also, I really like the different friends. Like they can just be, they can just be super fun. Like Tex is one of my favorites where he will like just randomly be like, Hey man, I like you so much. I'm going to show you some of my fan fiction. And it's like, this is a weird, (laughs) dumb thing. But with all this stuff that I'm talking about, there are some disappointments, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you're going to be able to touch on this very clearly, Brandon. But like the market box thing, for example, when you go through your friends list and you click on somebody to see their market boxes, you don't see the whole thing you just see like a, you just see a few things that they have for sale. If you want to see everything they have to sale, you have to go to their camp, oh. and so it's like you have to take this extra step to see what they've got, and that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and, I wonder why encourage that. Like, why is it right. important for you to go there? Mm. What what benefit does that serve? Yeah, the developers. Uh, one thing I can think of is strain on the network. Mm. Uh, I've seen. I mean, mm. most online games that have like auction houses and stuff like that. It is. It gets a little tedious when they get like the inventories get too big and stuff sure. like that. I, I'm guessing it could some be something like that. Which yeah. that was their solution is hey, go over to their ba- their campsite. You're in that whatever like instance and whatever, and just go chill there, and, and it works like that. But it's funny the market box thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny that you say like you you like that that, that sense of discovery um, uh, and seeing what people have the sale and go, like sitting through that. Yeah. I wonder how you're gonna feel about that a week or two more from now hmm. uh because my experience with any game that like has done like limited uh like market options where you get you really have to like comb through stuff it's a nice novelty at first to like see what everyone has yeah it's a little bit more social that way but at the end of the day it's just like i just want to look up this does someone have this item can i get it from you yeah and that, that like i feel like with a mobile game that like ease of access to getting those items is eventually going to I feel that might win out over the novelty, uh, unless they do something more with the social element of that. Like who knows? Right. And, and like like echoes, Fire Emblem Echo, uh, Heroes, not Echoes, Heroes. The they do can update these things a lot. So right. who's to say that like they yeah. don't change this at some you're, point? Yeah, you're, yeah. You're touching on something that I do want to yeah. bring up. Uh, but regarding the marketplace, I, I sort of agree and I disagree. I think it is different than other game marketplaces that I've encountered before, where there's just you can list so much and it can be kind of a pain just sorting through, and so you really only want to be there when you need a specific thing. I do think there should be, like, a way to search. Like, hey, man, Ooh, yeah. who mm-hmm. who has mackerel on my, on my friends list? Like, just tell me. Like, just let me search. Or, or maybe even, like, a reverse marketplace. Like, oh. a, like, a, like, I need this. You know, like, so I can oh. check a friend. Like, what do you need? Yeah. And, like, I'm dying for this. And, like, oh, I got that in my inventory. I just didn't happen to put it in my box. That, 
a kind of a more Animal Crossing way of doing it that I think would be really neat is like every Saturday we're gonna have a farmer's market, man, oh. and like <laughs> get all your stuff out there that you're gonna have displayed, and so you can go and you can have access to a wide variety of things within this place. That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I don't think it is a huge problem right now, and why I don't think it'll be a huge problem a week from now, is uh, the way that I use the marketplace in terms of buying is like because I'm playing the game so often, it's usually like, okay, I just need this one thing. And so it's not like I'm constantly needing to interact with it. It's like, in this instance, I need this thing. It's common enough. I just don't happen to have it. And so it ends up being a fairly quick process. And it's not like you're looking at the thing and they've got like 50 things on sale. It's like, yeah. no, here's like the 10 things that they have yeah. on sale. Uh, and it's pretty easy to, to, to come by. Um, Regarding the friends, though, and this is really where I want to get Brandon's opinion if he's encountered this, I'm super disappointed uh, at the lack of unique dialogue, where a lot of times you'll have a prompt being like, hey, let's talk, and it's like, okay, I'm going to give you the same tip that like a bunch of other people gave you, and I'm going to say it in the exact same way, and it's just, it's getting to the point where these a lot of these critters that I'm falling in love with their personality, there's less of those unique things that make them their own character. Like, it's like 20% that, and then like 80% here's stuff that you've heard a thousand times. Yeah. And so it's just less enjoyable interacting with them over time, and because of that, it's like decreasing my incentive to keep up the grind because if your big reward is, hey, you get this new character, isn't that exciting? Like you're taking away from the excitement if they feel less distinct. Yeah. Um, and that is something that I think uh, normal Animal Crossing doesn't doesn't suffer as much. I feel like, uh, <clears throat> you know, going into somebody's house or whatever or just interacting with them, there's just way more unique dialogue uh, for all the characters. I wonder if that's because the game just launched. Right. And I wonder if they're leaning more on having these people be like, hey, did you know you could do this weird thing that you right. might not even have gone? Mm -hmm. I could see a lot of, like, kids getting into this game not going to the other areas, not mm -hmm. be like, I want, you know, I need a, this butterfly. I mean, like, where are the butterflies? And it's like, mm -hmm. you got to go to your map. You got to go to a totally different zone. Um, and, uh, yeah, it de definitely took me a couple trips, like, around the world realizing, like, oh, when I go into that zone, I pull my net out. Okay, this zone right. is about that. It's not just like, oh no, it's you can do everything everywhere, but this has got a little flavor. This one zone here, right? It's like, no, you go here to do that. You go here to fish. That's what you. That's why you're here. Um, and yeah, so I wonder if over time, you know, the personalities will flourish a little bit more, especially as people start to get more accustomed to like what that ten limit is going to be in their camp. Like mm -hmm. these are my friends, right? Um, and I'm kind of getting there to the point where like they're like, oh, here's a new bunny, and I'm just like, I don't have bunnies in my camp. <laughs> Get out of your bunny. <laughs> I love the bunnies. Ketchup is the best, though. Like, ketchup, ketchup the duck. It's, but it's, <laughs> I've, I've gotten as far as ketchup. That's level 20 spoilers, bro. Uh, but it's Sorry. funny. But it, it is funny, though, that, like, the, all the, the, the texts and messages I've gotten from my friends who are just like, dude, it's all about, you know, PD or whatever. It's mm. all like this weird part. Clearly right. I'm like, sure. I, yeah. I don't know what it was. It really, like, um, uh, got you excited about that one person. I, I think the main thing for me. I mean, I'm I'm an open world dude, and so the main thing was just freedom right out of the gate. That was just sure. like, I I was loving what I was playing, and I love the aesthetic of it. Like, I think one of the, the the thing that's brought me the most joy is being somewhere else in the house and hearing Amanda play it in some other room. So I can just hear like, mm -hmm. like I'm like, oh, Animal Crossing's back! Like, it's it's back in our lives. It feels good. But I found I was playing it 
obligation is a strong word, but I was playing it because I wanted to be involved in this. You know, it was like, right. I want to progress in this. I definitely, I know some of my friends within the Allies, some of my friends just in the gaming industry, some of my friends, way old, old, old friends who we played Animal Crossing way back in the day are all jumping into this. I want to be involved in it. So I was doing things for that, not because this is great. Like So like mm. that, that initial couple hours with that game were not what I would call quote unquote fun. It was just me like, trying to figure out like how is this working because my normal animal crossing game the second i get to my town i start running everywhere I'll, right. like i'll run to the edges of the map i'll get a sense of like what the world is like like where yeah. the river goes and where my bridges are where people are moving in what the quickest route to the beach is uh fossils which are totally gone the museum which is totally gone like a lot of these things that were i'm like starting to collect different items and notice different the seasons change and different the bugs and stuff like that all that's gone so it was right. like I'm doing this just purely out of necessity, mm-hmm. and I'm used to that. Like, I'm used to the mobile grind. I'm totally, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. But it's only just in the last couple of days that I've gotten used to how the game is supposed to be played, like you were saying, in like mm-hmm. a 20-minute burst. And I think once I've discovered that, I started to enjoy it more and started to get like, ah, this is the pace this game will find in my regular lifestyle for weeks and months in the future. Um, but it was, yeah, it was kind of rough going to zones. Because the zones themselves, your campsite's fun, mm-hmm. but the zones are... They're not. They're not like exciting. Like I don't go to those areas. Like wow, this is great. So it's like I'm, oh I'm a, cool. There's that thing I wanted to catch. You know, I'm a little bit torn um, because I think with the way that they have it designed now, where it's like all right, you're 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 opening up the app. You've got all these things to check off this list. I think it is smart that how focused the zones are and how small they are. Where mm-hmm. it's like yes. I can just go here, get this out. I, like I don't have to wander around to like try to find the thing. I know that it's going to be here, or at least know that like it'll be here eventually. Mm-hmm. I like that. I was also really worried about just the general size of the campsite. In like, is everyone's going to look the same? Is it going to like not be big enough? Is it really going to feel like I'm just I have total control over this this tiny little hole, but I've been impressed with the creativity that I've seen from people, and I think there are a really good number of items, and now that the game has been out for a little while, you're starting to see more and more creativity, and it's, it's getting... I'm having a lot more fun checking out campsites than I thought. Yes. But the things that I was kind of talking about, kind of fiddling with the, the, the marketplace, checking out campsites, that's like what I'm enjoying the most, but I feel like when I log in, it's hard for me to, like, do that, and this is a mental thing, I totally understand, it's hard for me to do that and just, like, chill when it's like, these people are gonna move in three hours, you wanna do those requests? Um, and it's it's strange, because thinking back to my time with New Leaf, I remember going into New Leaf, and not that you didn't have things to check off, but I remember just being able to be like, no, I'm doing this today. And, yeah. like, you, you really could build the experience around what you were feeling at the time, and I just... The, the pressure of it being a mobile game makes sense, but it's also kind of sapping away some of the energy, and my goal is it's just like, well... <laughs> You know, I'm almost at half of all of the animals already. Maybe maybe I'll just get them all and then we can super enjoy the game. But that doesn't feel like a great way uh, to enjoy it either. And I think when you think about it, and you, you kind of touched on this, there's so much Animal Crossing not in this. Like, there's just not. There's so many features that which, are great. Which, which, to be honest, is more Animal Crossing than I was expecting. I thought we were going to oh. get something way out of left field. Mm. I thought it was going to be like a casino or something, just something really bizarre. Right. You know, that was kind of smelled like Animal Crossing, but was it's a mobile game. You know, right. like, this is actually like shaking trees. I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Right. Um, but I think, I think it makes a lot of sense because... 
if they're using this strategy to kind of get people into the core loop to have them be like, this is Animal Crossing, it, there's there's enough stuff to keep you occupied, but not so much that it will overwhelm you. I think that is really, really smart because I remember having like almost identical feelings about Fire Emblem Heroes where I played it, I went through the story, and I'm like, I, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. But they updated the heck out of that game. Like, there's so much in... Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, from where it started versus where it is now, you've got Tempest Trials, you've got voting gauntlets, you've got new paralogs and new story elements being added, like, on a regular basis. And even with Super Mario Run, like, very recently they just did Remix 10, which is a substantially new way of playing that game. Oh, cool. Um, and so I feel like they've done such a good job of updating their other mobile games, specifically Fire Emblem Heroes, that I have a lot of faith for something like Pocket Camp. And I think, like, the base is good enough that, like, I'm on board to check that out. Christmas is going to be a test. I, right. I want it. I want it. better start snowing soon. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that oh, If we get to, like, March and it never snowed, I'll be like, oh, Like, that'll, yeah. that, that will be an expectation of mine. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think one of the only things that now that I'm, like, totally comfortable with the groove and, like, all of my, wait, this isn't my traditional Animal Crossing opinions are just gone. Like, I've just kind of washed them out and, like, I can accept this game for what it is. Um, the market offerings are depressing, man. Like I, 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 I just you can go to see kicks or or you know any of the the ladies yeah. that uh, make shirts or yeah. you know accessories and stuff like that. The sisters, the only sisters. because I you know boot that game up and I'm like, okay, this is great, and I'm like seeing some of my friends and like, oh, my friends got a cool pair of glasses and something. It's like, yeah, I'd like to change my shirt. Four days later, I'm like, I'd like to change my shirt. I'd like to buy a shirt. And I'm like, nope, we're selling glasses right now. No, we're selling shoes right now. Yep. And I'm like, I don't even care what it looks like. I just want another. And that was very, very strange for me in an Animal Crossing game to be like, I'd like to just put some style. And it's like, nope, you know, here's you put a little star on your head. I'm like, I want a shirt. Like, so that was bizarre. Like, not even to, to not like, it's one thing, variety to not get in Animal Crossing. I'm used to that. But literally, you can't even, that type of item is not available it might not be until you're sleeping, or I don't know. <laughs> I want to tell you the story of the plaid rainbow pants, where I have these brightly colored, like red and yellow pants that I bought. It was, I think it was over, it was way at the beginning of the game. I think it was more than 3,000 bells. And I bought them because I'm like, maybe this will be, this is like kind of fun. And I don't know if this will show up again. I'm just going to try it. And I bought it and I, Put it on just to see what it would look like, thinking it would just, I could put on the default pants if I didn't oh, like it. Yeah. And I couldn't. My default pants just went away. <laughs> and so since the game has been out and I've been playing every day, I've been stuck in these pants and I can't change them because every time I go, I go all the time, unless it's like four in the morning, there's no pants. <laughs> I think there are only like eight pants total in the game and never seen them. I get glasses, I get shirts, no pants. I think the game is just trolling me at this point because right, I have yeah, not seen pants. We have like you have the catalog which you can just see what's available but you can't order it. Like they should have something in there where if it's like twice as expensive or something like you can order it and it takes like a day for you to get it but you can if you want something. I can't yeah, yeah. craft my own pants. I can't like I'm just stuck in these pants. I've done what I can with the outfit but it's going to make you burn those leaf tickets. Well, they would hook you on there. They, I mean, they don't, but like they yeah. should. Yeah. Like, hey Ben, 150 leaf tickets. You can yeah. get whatever you want. Would you like a yeah. new? Yeah. Like oh, new I, at this point, I would do it. Yeah, I need those. <laughs> uh, I love that. Well, because like other people, 
it's it's that social thing. You'll go and be like, oh man, that's such a cool outfit. Or like, my girlfriend is playing and she changes her outfit every day, and it's like I can't change my outfit because <laughs> I exactly have like one thing that goes with these loud pants. I think you're just all spoiled by Mario Odyssey. I think so. Like the ease of changing out. Yeah. Oh, right. Going yeah. into a game yeah. like this, you're just like, yeah. what are you doing, Nintendo? Yeah. Right. What are these mixed messages here? Right. Um, I do want to say one last thing. Yeah. I, I think I, I played the least of this. I, I only played through the end of the first cycle, basically. Mm. I didn't play anything beyond that. I think I'm only level three, so I'm, I'm really have not played this a lot. I do want to. I do want to say with the going off the updates that you say, like they're obviously going to continue to update this. Right. I do feel like they're going to probably add more features to this over time. Yes. I think they're going to rev it up in preparation for whenever the the Switch Animal Crossing is announced and is coming out. Yeah. Because I see this as, like, with Fire Emblem before it, this is going to be a platform to springboard off of into the Switch yes. version of Animal Crossing. I, I was unsure of that before I played it, and it's pretty obvious, yeah, yeah when you play this. like, And, and uh, I mean, the complaints we talked about with the Marketplace, it's like, lore-wise, I, I make sense why kicks can't be here all week because mm-hmm. like, I'm just coming by the campsite. You know, right. my, my store is back... And the Switch version you'll get sometime next year, maybe, you know? That's where we get to hang out every day, you know, with my face on the front of the sign, like, you know. I do also want to say I like how clean the visuals are. Yes, I on, totally I'm playing agree. On, on, uh, on my iPhone 8 here, um, iPhone 8 Plus, sorry, it looks uh, really good. Yeah. Like, it makes me excited to see what it's going to look like on Switch. Yep. I completely agree. Uh <clears throat> It's so nice uh, having talking about a game that we can all comment on, and I think because of that, it's a, it's a longer conversation than we normally have. This is kind of like Goldilocks. I liked it. Like you played a ton. I'm only right. got to 14, and Tommy right. just started out. Right, so it was that's good. Unique perspectives. Unfortunately, due to the, the nature of the situation, uh, I'm the only one that has played this. Uh, so, and it's not out yet. So I, I want to be really light with spoilers. So maybe this won't be as long as I initially intended it to be. But I have a lot to say, and it's I. I think you would really like it, Brandon. I, that I really is do. my first question for you yeah. is I'm, I'm looking for what are those big games that I'm going to want to play before the end of the year. Yeah. That um, might be it. And that is Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Uh, just to let everybody know before we get into this, I know a lot of people who watch the show are looking forward to that game and they don't want any spoilers. I will, I'm going out of my way here to not spoil any story elements, any character moments, anything like that. I, I'm trying to be very conscious of spoilers. Of course, we are going to be talking about the game in a general sense. So if you don't want to know anything, you're going to know some things listening to this conversation. So if you don't want to know anything, now is a good time to bounce. Um, and my my experience with Xenoblade Chronicles, I think, has kind of been different from a lot of people where <clears throat> I reviewed Chronicles X at Game Trailers, and I really liked it. And I had some experience with the original Chronicles, but not a lot. I played through it this year, and... Really and truly, it is one of my favorite JRPGs that I've played through in in ways be- because it is so different uh, from so many other things. And in comparison to X, which was kind of this hard left turn, I didn't know exactly how Chronicles 2 was going to feel. I didn't know if it was going to be all the things that I loved in the original Chronicles, if it was going to be like a mishmash of X and Chronicles 1. Like, I, didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And it is, if you liked Chronicles 1... I think it'll be very difficult for you to not really enjoy this game. Um, and I think the strong elements of Chronicles are further enhanced by Chronicles 2. And I think a huge reason for that is just the world and the openness that you have at any time. And uh, 
Like the the areas that you're going through are just so huge, and it's such a cool idea. Every basically plot of land that you're on is on these giant living creatures called titans, and they really make the most of that concept. Like it's cool searching for materials and being like, oh, I'm on the edge of this creature. I look out and it's just a sea of clouds. Um, but also the clouds play into the exploration. So depending on what's going on, the clouds will be either like high tide or low tide, and that will change what parts of the, the land you can get to. So if it's high tide, you might be able to swim over to a distant, disconnected piece of land that you couldn't get to before, and that's really cool. If it's low tide, there might be like a cave or something underneath that you can't reach when the clouds are, are, are high above. Um, and they really embellish the secret areas, and I'm not going to spoil any of the secret areas, but uh, Chronicles 1 had this as well, where you would go and it's be like, oh, you went out of your, we put this kind of secret for you to find that you went out of your way to explore and find. Um, there's going to be a reward there. They kind of double down on that. In fact, last night I was playing and I saw the craziest one yet where like, it wasn't just, hey, here's a nice view. It was like an entire scene that I, not like cut scene, but like the way that they had, mm -hmm. the, the things that they put in it. Uh, were fascinating, and it was just like kind of one of those things where it's like I just happened to stumble into this, and I feel so rewarded that I found this tiny little pocket, and there was so much to see. Uh, and that that exploration, I think, means so much because there are a ton of quests. There are so 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 many quests, and I do feel like in general, Chronicles Two is a lot better at pointing you in the right direction uh, to go get these things and. There are some quests where you, you have these blades and you're collecting all these different blades and they're, they're sort of like collectible monsters that you have. That's not a great way of describing them, but uh, you'll get these items called common cores or rare cores. And when you pop them essentially on a character, they'll get a new blade and you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Um, and all of the blades have different things associated with them, different elements, which plays into uh, like, hey... Fire does well against water, and lightning does well against earth. And so that's one thing to consider. Uh, they have certain weapons, which will dictate the kind of skills that you can use with that blade. Um, and they also have different field skills, which is explore exploration skills. So let's say you get to a locked chest. You're going to need blades that have lock picking. And Ooh. so it creates kind of this, this loop where it's like, all right, I have these blades that I need for exploration to get you know these treasure chests or to open up a new path but i also need them for battle and then later on you can send them out as mercenaries so you get a whole bunch of missions where it's like hey you won't have access to these blades for like an hour and a half but do you want to send them on a mission they'll go get you items experience and gold however each mission has a certain requirement like you're going to need two humans or two beasts yeah. or whatever it is i'm a sucker for stupid stuff like that <laughs> yeah but it it gets into this no one blade accomplishes everything that you need and you will encounter different challenges throughout the way both in terms of exploration mm -hmm. um and in terms of combat that will force you to mix them up or uh do different things and i think that is really, really, really cool. And you get enough blades uh, that you can feel like you do that. It's, I've never reached a point where it's like, I can't progress because I don't have what I need, but maybe I can't get this extra thing because I don't have that right blade. So going out, finding new blades has been 
awesome. And how do you swap blades? Is that a process? So <clears throat> eventually your characters can, except for one that I don't really want to get into for specific sure. reasons, you can switch between three blades. And so when you're, when you're in combat, uh, at any time, not at any time, but most of the time, you can you just press a button and you'll switch between a blade. So you'll switch weapons, you'll switch arts, your skills, um, and that plays into the combat system. Cool. And then when you are out exploring, you go into the menu and you'd be like, all right, I want to set these three blades. These are the blades that I have. These are the skills that I have access to. Um, one very quick note, I just want to say that the soundtrack overall has been phenomenal and has only gotten better as I've played, um, and the environments that I've gotten to have only gotten more interesting over time as well. Uh, I think it has been an incredible year for music. I think Nier has an amazing soundtrack. I think Persona 5 has an amazing soundtrack. I think Odyssey has an amazing soundtrack. Like, Chronicles 2 is right up there. Nice. I, I, I'm not going to place it right now, but uh, as somebody who frequently remarked during my streams how much I enjoyed the Chronicle soundtrack. I think this is right there cool. with it nice. in a very good way. Um, I want to get into the battle system, but I've been talking a lot. I've been rambling a lot. It's it's one of those games that I think is hard to talk about when you don't have somebody to bounce off of because there's so much and it's so dense uh, that I don't, I'm not really sure because one thing kind of daisy chains into another thing. So I want to take a break before I continue rambling and I want to talk to Damiani as somebody who... Uh, reviewed Chronicles and really loved it at game trailers. Uh, I don't think you played Chronicles X, um, or if you did, I don't think you finished it, but like, how, how are you feeling about Chronicles 2? Do you have concerns? Do you have hopes? Do you have expectations? So, the, so let me preface this by saying yes. I, ne I didn't finish X. Mm. Um, I, I did play... I actually tried playing through the import for a bit, and then I, res I started fresh on... Uh, U.S. version when it came out, mm -hmm. played that for a fair bit. Uh, the the issue I was running into with X was just a, a, a stylistic thing. It wasn't a quality thing. Like I still think objectively looking at it, uh, it's a it's a technical achievement. And what X does, it's just the style of the game veered a little too differently. It wasn't significant, but it was just enough that it wasn't what I was necessarily looking for mm -hmm. out of something called Xenoblade Chronicles with anything attached at the end of it. Right. Um, I think I was like caught up in the mech stuff and I was like, oh, this could be so great and stuff, which was really cool. But I think uh, I'd rather get into like Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to spend too much time on X, but I didn't finish it. So I don't want to talk too much about it because like I didn't actually finish it. So mm -hmm. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, though. The only hesitation I ever had about it was just the fact that it was going to be a, a, a sequel. They're putting two by it. Right. Could it possibly live up to what I had built up in terms of the, the quality and the reputation of Xenoblade Chronicles, the original one? I was just scared. I was just scared this game was not going to live up to these ridiculous expectations. Mm -hmm. And the more I saw of it... There was nothing that looked wrong or anything that looked good. Yeah. But there was just like this unsettling feeling that I had for whatever weird, crazy reason of that. This game, like if this game doesn't end up being even like half as good as Xenoblade Chronicles, I'm going to be so like distraught and stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I do that sometimes. Like it just gets in my head and I just feel like I put, put, put some like unfair like expectations against the game, especially when like I know like I'm just gonna be playing through it casually and stuff and I, I just want to know how it's gonna go down right but 
everything, like, especially the soundtrack, because, yes, stuff leaked or whatever, however they got out there, I heard it. Everything I've heard of the soundtrack, as you said, I agree with what I heard. I was like, yo, this this is legit. They are doing, like, everything <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah, the, everything I heard from the, the <laughs> leaked stuff just, just spoke to me. Just spoke to me in, ter- in the language of Xenoblade Chronicles. Yes, this, this sounds exactly what I want to hear. In terms of the actual Xenoblade Chronicles 2, um, two questions for you. Yeah. Because you talked a lot about, like, the blades. And yes. I know, uh, I don't know if you're allowed to answer this. Yes. And if, if you don't, you can't answer it, it's fine. It sounds like the the one big difference that might bug some people between the original and this one, uh, in terms of aesthetics, is the main character's, I'm assuming, inability to change characters outfit yeah like as easily at least as right. easily as it was in the like chronicles one any piece of gear you swapped out you saw it immediately Correct. reflected in that yep and to some people like they like that immediate change and stuff like it changes up the character appearance enough that things don't look so samey so i, I want to know did that ever bother you for the the, the parts you're allowed to even speak to yeah that the character might have looked the same throughout because like, a lot of games that's crazy like yeah the hero looks the same throughout it but to a game that previously had that option did it bug you at all, or it was just like not an issue? I think that's a really good question, Damiani, um, and something that I haven't thought about until now, and I think why I haven't thought about it until now and why it doesn't bother me is the context around the blades. And so in the narrative and in practical function, blades are very, very specific. I am this type of blade. This is what I do. My entire being is kind of wrapped around this identity, and... Drivers have sort of like their main blades that they're with, and so they they kind of talk about how in the story the drivers and their blades are one, and so the way that they present it, it would be the the relationship that they build between those drivers and those blades. It be it would be, I think it'd be kind of weird if all of a sudden, hey, this driver is in this crazy outfit now, and so they do kind of contextualize it in that way. I don't think that is the best explanation, but I don't want to go too far. I, got I think a more concrete defense of it is the blades themselves are the rare blades especially and i'm not going to spoil any rare blades but they are so drastically different in terms of style like you'll have one blade that looks like this you'll get another one that is is completely different visually like done by a completely different artist that i think you get enough variety in the visual style of the blades that kind of missing that dress up aspect isn't as hard for me i think it will be disappointing to some people okay your description of the bonds there stuff tiny bit reminds me of the the concept behind Fate Stay series. Mm, like the, right. the, yes, sure. I was like, oh, like it's, like I, ever since I heard about, it, I was like, I wonder if they went with this. Yeah. But my second question that I do want to ask you about regarding blades. Yeah. As you were describing them, um, their functions. Mm-hmm. Do you feel from what you've played switching them out? Uh, whether it's the three you can use in battle that you can switch in certain circumstances or like just the broad range that you get, mm-hmm. does it feel more like changing maybe like stances, like enough, like more, just like you can be more offensive or defensive? Or do any of them feel like almost like a job switch? Like do you become like different functional? <laughs> like something about the Xenoblade yeah. Chronicles original, each character kind of had a unique function that yes. made them almost like a job slash class. Right. I'm wondering if there's. The blades serve as that in this one, or are the characters pretty much their own jobs and classes? This is also a very good question, because uh, in Xenoblade Chronicles, you're absolutely right, where you had different characters that excelled in different areas, and so depending on your situation, you might need a different group of characters than what you currently had, because 
your characters can equip different blades, you have a lot more utility depending on how many blades you have. Where it's not so much about the person, it's more about the blades that you have. Um, however, getting into the combat system, switching weapons completely changes up your timing for attacks. Okay. And so... I just want to talk about the combat system very quickly because I think it is one of the strongest aspects of the game where you start with a sword, basically. I'm not going to get too much into it, but it has a basic three-hit combo where it's like swing, swing, stab. At any point, if you time it right during that combo, you can cancel with an art. And canceling is very important. It's something that you want to do all the time. If you switch from the sword to like your dual knuckles... It goes punch, it's a five hit combo, so it's punch, 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 punch. And so your timing on the canceling is completely different. And so when you equip a new weapon that you haven't used for the first time, it's like learning a whole different moveset specifically for the timing. Um, And every weapon, depending on the character, has different things that it does. So if you're equipping a great axe, it's like, okay, the great axe can launch an enemy up into the air, but it can't do the breaking and the toppling that you need in order to reach that launch point. Um, and kind of extending off of this, this is Brandon, I want to include you on in this conversation because I do think it is a problem. And I'm really worried about it. The battle system is very complex. There's a lot that we can talk about where you have to worry about Elemental weaknesses, you have to worry... There's there's driver combos where you're basically crippling the enemy, and then there's blade combos where you're kind of piggybacking elemental specials on top of each other. And then if you get to level 3, you create an elemental orb, which goes into this chain attack where you do basically this super move, but you have to build up the party gauge. Like, there's (laughs) so... The reason I'm going on like this is because there's so many elements uh, that you can talk about. And to be fair to Chronicles 2, I think it does introduce mechanics more slowly than Chronicles 1 or X did. Um, It does break them down a little bit better. But my frustration, and this will be a little bit alleviated when you a lot of people have access to the game, is it will explain something. It'll be like, hey man, here's a blade combo. But... You may not be ready for that explanation, or you might. You wish you had something to reference. Like, there's like once it introduces it to you, there's no like, there's nothing to look back on. Oh no! And so there was a period of time where I didn't fully understand every element of the blade combo, and it took me a while. It took me a number of hours to be like, okay, this is exactly how this works. I get it. This is how you combine the blade combos with the driver combos in order to do this. And I, I did wrap my head around it, but I worry for people who are new to these types of games or have stepped away from a while or especially haven't played a a Xenoblade game. Like, I was fortunate enough, like, having recently just played Chronicles where it's like, okay, you are using some mechanics. I can take some of that knowledge and apply it here. Like, if you're starting from nothing, like, is this just too much? Like, do you you get to a point where, like, I... Stop, man. Like, stop. Um, And so I do think that is a weakness of the game. However, now that I fully wrap my head around it, the combat system is so much fun. Like, in order to summon up in a way that makes sense and doesn't use a bunch of game-specific lingo, it essentially is built around combos, timing, and positioning, where you have to build... You're trying to get up to these huge explosions, and when you get to the end, they're like nuclear bombs. Like, the screen stops, there's a special animation. It's so much fun, you're doing tens of thousands of damage. But in order to build up to that, you have to do things in a certain order and within a certain period of time. 
Also, there are attacks where you have to be stationed around a certain point in the enemy. Mm-hmm. But the, that auto-attack combo that I was talking about, if you move at all, it interrupts that auto-attack combo. And so you have to make oh, the decision of, wow. do I move and get the bonus on the skill for being in the right position, or do I finish <laughs> the auto-attack combo? <laughs> and... I know people have been talking about it and how slow it feels, and I do think in general battles take a little bit longer um, than they do in like Chronicles 1, for example, but it really feels like this great action RPG hybrid where there's so much going on, there's so much you have to consider, and I think the ways that they have evolved it from sort of that basic Chronicles concept is so much fun. Like, you can you can perfectly piece together... This, like, huge, like, I'm doing 1,000% more damage than I should be doing because I built up all of this stuff in the right way. And it's just so satisfying to see. And the visual feedback you get for doing that is awesome. Like, when you're with your blade and he's like, yeah, we're going to mess them up, right? And you're like, yeah. And you see this huge explosion. It is really, really, really satisfying. I feel like we need to get a video on of Ben Moore's meta xenoblade chronicles 2 meta mm. and i i want to know ben would you use the term dps in in, in that video <clears throat> will you will you tell us how to do max dps in xenoblade chronicles 2 well it's it's not so much about doing a bunch of damage quickly it's it's more about like it's like it's like you're building a a, yeah. a, a lego set where it's like all right i have to stack this stuff in this certain way so i can cash in on it later appropriately um but I've definitely had a couple of battles where I've struggled and it's like, oh, okay, I have to like actually really think about what I'm doing. But it hasn't been too bad in terms of difficulty. And I think experiences will wildly fluctuate because the way that it works is if you do side quests, and boy, there are a lot of side quests. There are a lot of them. I'm not even doing all of them. I'm just doing a fair number of them. The experience that you get from side quests kind of goes into this bank. And when you go and you rest at an inn, you can cash out that experience. And so you'll have these really oh. satisfying moments <laughs> where you haven't cashed in a while and you go to an inn and it's like, boop, 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 hey boop, man, boop, do you want to go up yeah. four levels? <laughs> and the levels, like leveling even once is a, like a pretty big deal. And it's kind of strange because the game says early on, if you want the game to be harder, don't ever rest. And like, I can't imagine <laughs> doing Whoa. that right now. But I am curious to see the people that never use that bonus. I, I think that's system. my question. I, always when it comes to difficult battle systems and, right. and complexity in RPGs is that like, is this something that I am going to get better at through the course of the game and then really mm-hmm. utilize later when it counts to uh, make certain encounters easier or maybe reach out and, and do some encounters, you know, uh, in, a, in a soul's way, find those bosses that I'm not supposed to find that right. are kind of like off the beaten path. Or is this something that I'm finding my, you know, this is the game is pointing me in this direction and I'm trying to beat this boss and I can't because there's maybe some system that I didn't utilize 10 hours ago because I didn't see the importance of it and didn't know it was going to be something that was going to bite me later on. That like, oh, you don't know how to use this one system. And that's that's kind of the fear I had going through Persona 5 was that like, I'm I'm enjoying this and I'm kicking butt in, you know, this this turn-based combat. But am I missing something? You know, is there right. is there some system that they just told me that I'm not doing because it's a preference, or am I not doing that and I'm going to suffer for it? You know, further down the road. Yeah, I, it, it's it's a question that I'm reluctant to answer. I I kind of want when the game comes out this week, I, I kind of want to see 
people from all over the place who have played a lot of Xenoblade, what they think of it, and people who have never played a, a Xeno game before, and are, are they finding it overwhelming? It, it, does the game explain things better to a new player than I initially perceived? I don't, I don't really know. Mm. Um, but what I can say is, like, climbing that hurdle was very, very satisfying. Like, it was worth the investment paying attention and learning that stuff in a way that it's sometimes not in really dense RPGs, where it's like, you learn all this stuff and you really don't get a huge benefit. But, like, I haven't even described all of the systems that you... Like, we're not talking about trust or all of this, <laughs> or, like, aux cores or all this stuff. Like, there's, there's more to talk about. But I think another component that I know is very important for, like, a Kyle Boston and a Michael Huber... Like, I've kind of reached a point where if the mechanics are fun in an RPG, that's enough. Like, if the story is awesome, obviously, I'm way into that. But sometimes the mechanics can just be enough... The story in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I will not spoil any specifics whatsoever, but I will say it does a much better job of kind of getting you on the hook immediately, making huge, super exciting things happen, like, within the first few hours of the game, and it's kind of followed this very satisfying step process where it's like, we're going to develop a little bit more of this mystery while answering this question or introducing you to this other major player. And so it's like, you're getting a little bit of answers, and, you know, we're putting another carrot on the hook. And so it it's happening really quickly, more quickly than I was expecting in a game this huge and this long. Is there the the story itself? Like, I don't know how the payoff, I haven't finished it yet, I don't know how the pay, ultimate payoff is going to be, but I am so, so, so interested in learning kind of the bigger, broader mysteries that are going on. Um, and I think... With Chronicles, uh, there were definitely moments where I, I was interested, but there were kind of long stretches where it felt like a lot wasn't being developed. I don't know if that was just because of the way I was playing, but specifically like Chronicles X, there were games where that there were times where that game just like came to a halt, where it's like we, you're just gonna be kind of putzing around doing these menial things for a long time, and then we'll get back on with the story. Also, like the most exciting stuff with the story, we're not gonna drop into the end, and that's not happening here. I would say like story presentation is smoother on the whole. Also, it's not going to be for everybody, but there was a lot of concern about the English voice acting. I think the English voice acting, by and large, is great. Like, there are moments that I think are genuinely funny, well-presented. The action scenes are so much fun to watch. I was not worried. I was worried about the, the, the English voice acting going in, but now having spent a lot of hours with it, I think overall it's really good. The characters are very endearing, very charming. It is easy to get attached to them. Um, visually it is wildly inconsistent though, I would say. Mm. Um, there are moments, there are vistas. Open world. Yeah. I'm there, used are, to that. there are vistas and creatures. Like there was one creature that I'm like, you are filling up the entire screen and you look amazing. Um, but, and I think the main characters themselves look pretty good. I, th that, that style is not going to be for everybody, but when you get to the minor characters, they're just really, really basic, like kind of just a blob of color with very little detail. Um, and that gets disappointing. Some of the interiors, like you go through some industrial areas, and it's like, this is just a cube of brown steel with nothing <laughs> in it. And you're, like you said, I think when you're dealing with huge land masses, you are going to have some areas that are uh, more interesting than others, but it's something that I think people will notice and I do think is, is a little bit disappointing when it crops up for sure. Um, okay. I rambled a lot about Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It's, it's hard. I think when you are so excited about a game and you, you like want to, 
tell everybody everything. Uh, but my question to you, Brandon, is like, do you really think that this is a game that, that you would play? I think I'm ready for this game. Okay. I, 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 th- this is the kind of year where I it's been very difficult for me to plan ahead what I'm going to be playing because there's so many amazing games. I don't know, like Assassin's Creed Origins was a game like, ooh, is that going to be something? I'm not playing it currently, but like, it's just going to be time for me to jump in because I didn't, uh, you know, didn't spend a lot of time with the last one. And so I, I never really know where I'm going to be at. The Skyrim on Switch. Am I going to be putting a lot of time into that? Like, right. I, would, I wouldn't mind going back into Skyrim. Like, what am I in the mood for? And I, I, I think I'm at the, the, the point right now where there's a lot of things that I want to play, but I don't want to play really bad. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I, I want to finish Wolfenstein. Um, I want to finish Persona 5. Like, there are games that I want to get back into, but, like, nothing is, is really – I have that primal draw where it's like right. I need this in my life. Uh, and I did – I definitely have played those games this year. And so – uh, you know me in open world, like I, I, I like right. it's it's definitely enticed me, and, and I think the biggest sell that I've gotten for Xenoblade Chronicles Two is, and I don't remember where it was uh, specifically, it might have been TGS that we got like the the towns where we went to mm-hmm. each of these creatures and saw what life is like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in that world, and just seeing how diverse they were and how each one definitely had its own clear identity, uh, I think uh, uh, was a was a very strange sell for me. Like right. that, that definitely. Uh, um, made the game look more interesting than I had originally seen. I uh, I had this moment with the game where you kind of get introduced to these like big land messes early on, and I, I just spent a lot of time in them, like more than ten hours just doing side quests and, and running around and doing things. And I was like, man, it, like is this is this kind of like the style of the game? And I I got a little bit worried that it wasn't going to be as diverse as I thought. And then I reached this point in the story. It's like, oh, like this is as hard of a turn as we possibly could have taken. And not just not just visually, but the music accompanying it, the the, the characters that you're interacting with, like it it was a wild change that still felt totally believable within this world. And so I appreciated that. Um, one other weird note that I want to bring up that I don't understand is the heart to hearts are all voiced, which is cool. And basically these little extra scenes that you can see between characters that are very charming and totally worth seeking out. Uh the side quests are not voiced, which is fine, but you'll have these conversations with these characters and they'll be like explaining what their problems are. They're like, Hey man, my wife got murdered, figure that out. And your characters give canned responses back. They just like say the same thing to everybody. They'll like, like spout off a one liner. It's like, no, that's not how Rex would respond in this situation. Like that doesn't even make sense. So it's it's weird that you don't have unique dialogue for that side quest while the person giving it does. And that's a little bit... Mm. Like, it would almost be better if your characters yeah. didn't speak at all. It would be less yeah. jarring. Um, so that didn't make any sense to me. But, Damiani, any other questions that you have about Xenoblade that I can answer? Um, no, Looking forward to this 5,000-word yeah. review script that's coming in uh, for Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I'm, I feel like Woo! I know a lot about what I'm going to say with Chronicles, but it's one of those reviews where it's like, okay, I've got... 50 mechanics to describe, like, how much do I touch on, like, you need to be able to save enough to give an accurate description, but you don't want to say so much where it's like, okay, I'm just explaining everything in great detail, and it becomes... I gotta put on my character of, like, I know what I'm talking about. Right. Ox cores? Sure. Right. Yeah. Ox cores may not even be said. We'll see. We'll see. Sorry, Damian, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, um, I, I I think with it coming out so soon, uh, nothing really else to ask. Just, mm-hmm. uh, from what you said so far through this discussion, right? Just uh, a lot of the stuff just reinforces like the the, the good elements 
that I'm looking forward to in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, mm -hmm. which is what drew me so far into Xenoblade Chronicles originally. The, the, the notion of being able to, like, when you talked about being able to explore and find the, the secret areas, those mm -hmm. hidden, like, things are just, like, the reward for going off and, like, just spending some time. Not necessarily yeah. even a side quest, just doing that. Like, that was one of the most, like, rewarding things I did and found myself getting lost in constantly in each new zone in Xenoblade Chronicles. So and not just Xenoblade Chronicles, like, a lot of games that have, like, wide open zones, I just love to go off in a direction and check them out. The, I, real quick, there was a time when yeah. I was playing... Some MMO just for a preview or something, and Miguel Lopez, former reviews editor, a game trailers with all of us, came over and watched what I was doing. He goes, "Why are you just running around these zones and stuff? That's not how you play an MMO." And I'm like, "No, these zones look amazing. Yeah, I just want to go look at these things." Because, dude, these like things are like so high level, you get one shot. I'm like, "That's part of the thrill too. Yeah. Like, I want to <laughs> see this, and yep. it's kind of like it's like it's not really what you're supposed to, do, but it's for some people that is part yeah, of it. They sure. like even in Final Fantasy XI." Like, I would do that a lot. So, Xenoblade Chronicles, I don't think it's from the original one. There weren't too many moments of serious risks. They did put, like, higher-level enemies in each zone, uh, usually, that, like, if you went over that area, it's like, mm -hmm. you should probably stay away from there. But there's usually a very easy path of some sort to get around stuff or some cheese you could do. Oh, and, like, everything you said just alludes to, like, yeah. there's gonna be that stuff. That's there's totally. gonna be that stuff. And I'm like, yes, like I, that, that's the first thing that will hook me in uh, on two. There are moments, and it's it's like when I say these secret areas, or even not even just secret areas, like getting to where you need to go for a side quest, it's not like, oh, just go to this area that you haven't explored yet. It's like there are moments where it's like maybe if I jump down on this thing and I land here, I won't take enough damage to die from the fall, but then if I jump <laughs> over here, I'll get in this hole. Like some of these are deviously placed, and uh, you were talking about the higher level enemies being mixed in. That becomes... Like, it happens right away where you'll be running around and it's like, oh, there's a level 83 thing. I'm ten, level 10. I will one-shot me. That will definitely happen. But as you go on, I think they get even more intensely mixed with, mm. like, things you can handle and things you totally can't. And sometimes you'll be fighting a thing you can handle and <laughs> Rex will be like, a new guy joins the fray and you're all just suddenly dead. And so that is as an element I enjoy too. But that was a lot of me spewing off. Uh, something that has been on the last two frame traps, I think. Uh, and so I don't want to spend a ton of time with it, but I really want to get Brandon's impression on it because I think he was a little bit behind us in terms of playing it. Definitely. Is Mario Odyssey? Yeah. Where are you at, Brandon? I got Odyssey? credits. I think I'm a two sixty something with the moons. Okay. I am making my second pass on on my way through all of the worlds, which you are invited to do. Okay. Um, I, I I thought that was was done well enough, just enough of a tease. So like you'd probably go back, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that definitely opens up all new possibilities. And uh, lore wise, there's some like different things going on in some worlds, and they've yeah. changed since you last you know visited. Uh, some of those worlds I went through and and got absolutely every single moon, even some bonus moons, which I thought was interesting. That, like, I'd, I'd fill up all the spaces for the moons and then get, like, another one. I'm like, whoa, why wasn't there a space? That some are kind of, like, extra, su you know, super secret hidden moons. Uh, but very much enjoyed it. Uh, I think it was easy. I think that was kind of one of the surprising things, that there was, like, never a boss encounter that, like, I failed. You know, mm. there was, like, ne there were very few moments where every time I died, I was like, I'm, okay, I just rushed my way through that. I'm being an idiot. Uh, but I, I – and and – that was a surprise going through, but, like, I really like how much of that game you need to play before you get to the end credits. Before that's like, okay, that's the game. Right. That's, like, the campaign. And then now here's the extra 80% of this game, all this other stuff that you could do. 
I thought that was kind of fun and inviting for, you know, possibly playing with kids or, or, or right. somebody coming in, being their first Mario game, getting that satisfaction of like doing what I set out to do. Right. And then now there's all this exploration to be done. Um, I mean, it's a common thing in Mario, but I think Odyssey does it better than some of the other Mario games. There's, I'm not going to spoil it for you or for anybody else, but there's a challenge I'm thinking of specifically that you can only get after you get so many moons that is really worth doing. It's not like so hard I can't do this, but it will definitely take you a few attempts to do that I think is worth seeking out, worth doing. And also when you beat the game in every kingdom... There are more moons that open up, and some of those moons are challenges that are way harder than almost anything else that you see in the main game, and those are a lot of fun to do as well. And so, like, Brandon, I don't know how you feel about it, but it was one of those things where it was like, I got the credits to Mario Odyssey, I finished it, and I was like, I don't need to do it 100%. That was great. I had a good time. Maybe I'll just mess around a little bit more. And then I Two hours of, go by. <laughs> yeah, and, and now I'm like I'm like 600 moods in, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm doing all of it. I'm doing all of it, man. Um, because the post-game stuff, from a challenge perspective and just from a creative perspective, has been way more awesome than I was initially anticipating. And so, like, I know it's crazy, but... It was a game that I played because I'm like, I need to play this. This is something yeah. that will be a, a very heavy contender for Game of the Year. It's something that I need to have experience with. And the completing of in the time I did was purely from me. Just, I, I, this is fun. Yeah. I, I can't stop playing this. And, I, and, and, and so it was neat. It was neat having me... Having skipped Galaxy One and Two, still haven't gone back and play. Like I've played them like for countdowns and stuff, or like group streams, or I've like watched other people play. But like I never had my own personal experiences with either of those games. Yeah. Played 3D World, but like missed some of the handheld stuff that we've gotten recently. Didn't play A Link Between Worlds. Didn't finish Twilight Princess. Didn't finish. Didn't touch Skyward Sword at all. Yeah. And I destroyed both of those games this year. So I love that this kind of like Nintendo renaissance I'm going through right now with, yeah. with their two biggest franchises uh, that I just haven't, haven't spent that much time with to, to play enough of both of these games to recognize how amazing they were. And uh, how, how how nervous we all were right before the Switch launched. Like, come on, Nintendo, you can do it. Brennan, and it's... here we are. Here I am talking about playing some other huge open world game on Switch over the holidays. It's funny that you talk about a Nintendo renaissance because, like, there, there have been a lot of Nintendo games that have released this year that I've really enjoyed. The list is long. But my love for Nintendo has reached an astronomical height that it has never been at probably in my entire life because of old games. Like, I played through Xenoblade Chronicles this year. I I love that game to, like, the heart of my being. Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door is a game that, like, should be required by law to play mm. because of how much joy it puts in your life. And, yeah, and, and even I, I finished, like, I'd played a bunch of it before, but I finished Mario Sunshine for the first time this year, and I love that game, too. And, and yeah. And, yeah, like, they're... Oh, man, like, it, it's made me very... Like, I have never played through Earthbound, and now I want to do that, because I'm just kind of on this... Things I missed for one reason or another that I want to do. Um, I, I the, the biggest compliment that I can give that game uh, that I, I think has been, been touched on before, but I would like to reiterate, because I'm sure you've talked about the music and, and the creativity of the worlds. Yeah. I'm always curious of, like... Because in the end, like, you know, it's like, oh, let's go. You, you actually get a planet. Like, you're actually, like, revolving around a planet. So it's yeah. like, of course, the the meta brain of mine is like, is this actually Mario's world? Like, is this, you know, like back in the back in the Nintendo 64 days, was there a cake world? You know, like, I wonder. Oh, God. Is it a different world every time? Like, Yeah, I, I think it's just for this game only. Right. Like, they're, they're so not beholden in. Don't think like about that, it too no. hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And this, for anybody that even played, you know, Super Mario Brothers on the NES is probably like a no-brainer, but like, man, does that game control well. Boy, does he feel good to move, to run around, to throw things. And it's interesting because like projectiles are something that I've always equated in a Mario game to be like completely haphazard, just nonsense. Like yeah. even when you're throwing like a, a fireball, like that thing's gonna bounce all over the place. Right. I like when you take over Hammer Brothers because it's just like, ah, mm-hmm. like every time you throw one, they fire off in a different direction. Right. But that hat feels so good. You know, like that just hitting that thing exactly where you want it to. And like, uh, and it would surprise me when I would see a target and then just do like a backflip and throw it to my side and nail it, you know, and realize like, I don't feel, again, like, I, I, I'm repeating myself, but there was very rarely a moment in that game where I was like, come on, game. It was just like, Rad. no, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. Like, yep. And it would crack me up the way it would emphasize performance anxiety. That, like, I would, there was one, I remember this one thing, I think it was on the, uh, the moon, where I had to jump between three platforms. And so I just had to do the little, the little, like, you know, the little Z button kick, like, right before I jumped. Something I've done a billion times in Mario games. But, like, right when the timer starts, when I got to, like, throw my hat on that thing and then do it now, I, I'm backflipping. I can't stop, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, this is just me. This is 100% me freaking out, not being, like, calming down and doing the challenge at hand. Uh, and, um, and I think sometimes that's what kind of, not turns me off, but that's why I'm not, like, you know, uh, I haven't been such a voracious fan of Mario's work over the years. Is that like I, I like things that have a little more bite-sized periods of progression, not like huge challenge, you got the star, you're done. I can kind of burn out on those. Like mm. if I if I don't get to the star, that's what happened with me and Sunshine. Like it was mm. one challenge where I was like, I I'm not good at this game, forget this. Well <laughs> the difficulty of Sunshine is all over the place depending yeah. on which shine you're you're going And after. so just I mean, just going into these worlds and knowing I think, you know, going back through and, and, mm. and having everything change, New Donk City changes dramatically, you know, from just a couple things that you do when you first get to that world. That's the main draw for me, is like I want to discover these things. If I find some race that I'm really bad at, well I'll just move on, you know, yeah. to something else. Yeah, when you talk about the performance anxiety, that's really interesting when you talk about um, like 64 or, or Sunshine or something like that, where you do have choice, but it's it's within a pretty limited set within Odyssey, I think what totally alleviates that performance anxiety is there are just an ungodly amount of moons that not being able to do one feels so inconsequential because you have a zillion other things to do at any given time. And I- and I love when they'll show you the thing you can you can see from the ground that you're like, oh, there's a thing up there. Well, let me get up there. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get to the top of the rooftop, go all the way to the edge of that roof, get that thing, and then look at it like, oh, crap. Now that I'm up here in this spot, yeah. there's just that there and there's that there. And so they, like, they did a really good job, even in areas where there's just kind of like some big cloud that you can drop off <laughs> and then you'll just teleport between these different panels, even how they're placed. I, I liked that, you know, I, when I'd finally get to the end of it, I would just look behind me and like, oh, I can still see the ship. I can still see the Odyssey. I can still see the the, the, the big journey that I just took to get to this point. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of, like, steering your perspective toward things that you'll also want to do or realize that you missed or right. f- three little, you know, purple coins down, all down the edge. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm right at the boss, but now I got to go back because I just noticed something I missed. Um, yeah, very, very well created game. No uh, question. I want to go back to the movement. I want to loop Damiani on this in, on this as well because when I really try to think about it from a like, what does this game need to work? The way that you can throw your hat, I think, like by default, you you throwing your hat and just basic throw. You need that. Um, maybe you could throw in the homing attack there and being able to jump on your hat, but you can do so much more than that. Like the spinning, the dive on the hat. There are all of these movement elements 
that you I don't think you need for Mario Odyssey to be considered a great game, but because they have them, because you have so much flexibility with how you move, it is what pushes it from a like great game to an absolutely phenomenal one. And that totally reminds me of Mario 64. Like you could remove several movement options from Mario 64, and I still think it would be a pioneer 3D platformer in so many ways that you just like you just don't need. Um, and like, how often do you find yourself using those moves now? Because, like, I think the most single most satisfying thing for me in Odyssey is realizing how I started playing that game and all of the things that I'm doing now, where I'll do, like, a dive into a roll, into a long jump, into a ground pound jump, onto the thing. Like, I'm just playing it completely differently. Like, I, I can't think of another platformer in recent memory where my progress can be measured in, like, moves that I'm performing on a consistent basis. Like, what... How... Has your playing changed over time, and, and how valuable do you think that is to Odyssey as a game? I mean, I, I'll, I'll agree with the sentiment that, like, the Mario Odyssey gave made me feel that not only did i have the most freedom with the movement um but also the most rewarding uh sense of movement since mario 64 for me what you were describing the the evolution of just getting the not necessarily repetition but like how naturally things start to become to you as you do them i guess that's repetition sorry but (laughs) you start doing these moves and moves start combining them together into like sort of combos and you're like doing all uh, these sequence of events to get to places like oh i can now do that so seamlessly so easily it's so natural to do and it feels really good to do that this mario odyssey was the first game since 64 in terms of a a 3d platformer that enabled me to almost do whatever i wanted to do in terms of traversal this level traversal it was like i still think 64 has a slightly bigger degree but it's mostly due to shenanigans in that game versus what was intended whereas odyssey the beauty in odyssey is a lot of this was intended and it goes so far even to people thinking like haha i did all these crazy sequence events to get up here nintendo you didn't expect me to get up there oh wow there's a pile of coins up here mm-hmm. yes yeah. nintendo did know that you yeah. were gonna get, get up there like it they just no like i always i've sung the praises about how I feel the level designs are fantastic in that they encourage you at very key points to use Cappy to come and like just take over an enemy and use its unique abilities to solve the mechanics, the puzzles of that area. Like the Wiggler comes up a lot, like those narrow platforms, like everyone keeps talking about them. Like, yes, Wiggler was a great one. Swimming, everyone, like some people, like even like me, like to like kind of harp just a tiny bit on the swing controls, but then it's like there are all these fish around you. You can take over yeah, them. Yeah, oh, yeah. It makes fishing, it makes swimming way easier. Yep. Like they, they did it intentionally. All these things were done intentionally, and combining all that with just like your traversal mechanics, it, it truly feels like this level is completely open to letting me do almost whatever I want. It feels like a playground again, and this pure joy of being able to see if I can just do something to get up there. Yes, they have all these moons to encourage you to stay in here. It's um, fantastic that you don't have to get ejected and come back in mm. for a new star that has to be retooled to, to work like that, which has its benefits in, in some degree. But at the same time, it's like, no, stay here. Keep playing in here. So even on top of all that, just the you don't, I don't even need the extra moons. It's just, can I get onto that spot? Is yeah. that even possible? The, the seeing if you can do it and accomplishing it, such a fun thing to do, 
and you just see it being played out in like every L, uh, facet of that game, whether it comes to like the the Koopa races, like people just improvising and coming up with crazy stuff, yes, to, to shave seconds and stuff off that, just, just because it's, it can be done. Like you, you like, hey, what's the shortest path there? Like, can you do this? All right, let's start experimenting. Like, encourages experimentation yeah. and creative thinking in in the way you tackle stuff. So. I mean, Nintendo covered all the bases so elegantly with the placement of everything in the levels, but also they just, they didn't get, I feel like they just didn't get too worried about people doing stuff that they didn't intend to. So when I say like Mario Odyssey, and I got some people asking me like, why I call Odyssey disruptive. It's like, I feel like it is disruptive in the fact that like it lets you do whatever you want and encourage you to do it without any real repercussions or consequences like Nintendo's not trying to ever penalize it or even tell you to do this they, they have things laid around to give you options to do stuff that might nudge you but at the same time like oh if you figure out this other way to do it completely yeah. awesome so that's why i feel like it's the most open mario game even though it's not a true open world the levels are just so open in that by that nature and like one of the many reasons why i love that game yeah i think that was extremely well said uh, you brought up the the Koopa races, and you were talking about sort of the <clears throat> the visual design of the levels, where there there is something where it's like, oh, there's a pile of coins up there. Clearly, I can get up there. How do I do that? Sort of encouraging this natural curiosity. But the Koopa races themselves, uh, I I did one, and the Koopa following behind the Koopa, he did a move that was like, I didn't even know you could do that, and yeah. just naturally incorporating, like slowly expanding my moveset without sitting down and telling me, hey, you can get up here this way, but just kind of having that aha moment within the challenge itself, I thought was really cool. Um, I do want to say, before we move on, uh, that the phrase for Cotton Frame Trap has been said, so it's oh. been triggered. However, we're going to go through one more game oh. before we get there, but I just want to know, oh. you guys can start feeling guilty about who, who triggered that right now. But before we get into our little kind of frame trap game, I'm actually really excited to talk about this. We're going to be talking about Skyrim, which just recently released on PlayStation VR, which I've played a little bit of and have things to say, but want to play more before I really talk about it on frame trap. However, Damiani, you've been playing not only Skyrim on Switch, but this is like your first time playing <laughs> Skyrim <laughs> ever. And that's, that's fascinating. Here's why that's fascinating. How did that happen? Uh, <laughs> because... Skyrim is just, it's one of those few games where it's like, like, have you played Minecraft? I've touched it. Okay, you've touched it. You've had, yes. you've had contact with Minecraft. <laughs> yes. Right, it's I've like been, one of those things where it, it's, it I becomes so big. I have gone into it. I have, I've tinkered it. around with it. I've yeah. gone into pre, like, pre-made maps and stuff and like just marveled at the spectacle of what people have done. Yeah. And then, you know, gone in like, chiseled through into the deep dark underground you hung out with marco fun. enough to get a yeah. thorough understanding right. of minecraft yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much it was like marco and dan rexton uh just going at it and being like hey come come check this out i'm like all right more more, more minecraft every single day minecraft okay cool <laughs> i mean that was true for a lot of people oh yeah like, oh yeah yeah uh but this this is your this is first contact with skyrim uh yeah I don't. I really don't want to to paint you into a corner. So please tell me if I'm being unfair. But like, when I think of Damiani, I don't think my mind doesn't immediately jump to Western RPGs. I think I think that is a fair thing to say. So not only 
is Skyrim completely new to you, but like this style of game, I think is new to you. And I don't think you have a lot of experience with Elder Scrolls. So like you are going in as fresh as somebody in the year 2017, I feel like can go in. What was it like? Was it overwhelming? Was it exciting? So I'll say this about Skyrim to start with. I was worried about how overwhelming it might be. Yeah. Just because I had almost no experience with this series and Mm -hmm. specifically this type of RPG. I will say that the, the, the pacing early on does a pretty darn good job of like easing you in. Yeah, you like I, the first real town I get to after you like the dragon attacks so you can escape. You make it up to the, the first village where you meet up with uh, people like, hey, we're going to like you got to go warn the main town about the dragon attacks and stuff, blah, blah, blah. You find out you learn more about Skyrim's politics, like what's going on. You, you, you can, like I acted like an outsider. Like I mean, you are an outsider, but I acted like I didn't know anything. All my responses were, "I have no idea what's going on here." I wanted in from like, "Please tell me." I don't want to be like, oh, "Oh yeah, I totally know what this is." Like I wanted the lore dump and stuff. It never felt like too much of a lore dump because you can. This is like what I've always envisioned and what is the truth about Western RPGs. You get as much out of the the world building character building as you spend time digging into each NPC mm-hmm. and their backstories and the backstories of the world. If you don't want any of that, you just pick like, thanks, I'm done talking with you and move on. Right. I felt like I took the middle ground through most of the, or like the first hour of the game. I felt like I got enough explanation of what was going on to like appreciate the gravity of the situation anytime. Also like this learning the basics, the ropes of how to like control the character, the basic mechanics. I will, admit that at first I thought it was like just a loot gathering game like in like very heavy emphasis on gathering everything possible in front of you it's yeah. not. until I start well, well until I started noticing like hmm there's this meter going up yeah oh here we go yeah. this is the this is the bane of like why I don't like some western art games ah your weight encumbered yeah. I was like ah here we go I love this stat uh, that actually never became a real problem like once or twice I was like just eh, I have so many weapons I'm not I went I decided to focus on being a mage. I wanted to use ranged magic. And I was like, all right. I started off with, hey, I have a destruction spell of fire or flame. I want to use that. I also had spark, and I used that in my left hand. Right hand, I had a sword for about first, like, hour or two. Till chat was very nice, because I was streaming my first playthrough as well. Yeah. And chat getting to see my reactions to everything and laughing at it and having a good time as well. They eventually were nice enough to inform me, oh, you really just wanted to wield magic? Damiani. You, each hand can use a specific ability. I'm like, no, no, no. The right hand is a weapon, right? Left hand's magic. He's like, no, no, no. See how it says like Z, ZL or ZR? Yeah. You actually can assign magic to both hands. I was like, mm-hmm. isn't that like a special spell? Like, no, no, no. You're cool. Go ahead. Do that. So I was like, oh, healing in one? Flame in the other? <laughs> Yo, here we go. Yeah. So Just running around like this. <laughs> even without knowing like that, like I mean, I still get like that's not a hard concept, but like yeah. And I found it out early enough on, and in the game did explain. That I just kind of like whatever. I was trying to process stuff. Despite all of that, I was having a good time. Yeah, uh, I, I I liked the the, the quest, the, the writing, and the storyline. I was kind of I was like intrigued. I was like the story about these dragons. Like, okay, what's going on here? I think it, the pivotal moment was the first major quest line. That they sent me on for the main story quest into like the mountains, into the caves to find some like golden claw thing or whatever to, uh, from like that some mage was guarding or whatever. And like the mountain south of Whiterun, I believe, is the name of the first town. Yeah. A uh, major town. And like the, the king or whatever, the lord of that town, 
He's like, hey, uh, cool. Thanks for warning us about the dragon. Go talk with my mage. He's like very skilled in magic and stuff, and he's got like a mission for you. That whole first dungeon sequence proper, going and even the sequence going into the mountains and coming across my first stronghold and trying to infiltrate it and like, wait, am I supposed to do this or not? Like, I know this is like the trademark of most open world games, open world games, and I, I was still constantly reminding myself this game came out in 2011. Consider that this was all being done six years ago, even though right. you're experiencing now. This game was doing this six years ago. This is awesome. The mm-hmm. so first dungeon was an amazing experience. I had a great time in there. Like I actually enjoyed it. The first person wasn't bugging me because I was doing ranged. So when I try to do melee stuff, that, that I think that was another reason that influenced my decision. Sure. Is because I, that was starting to like cue my motion sickness and like headaches and stuff i was like "Eh, i'm gonna stay with that even the third person option i wasn't digging it i was like this is just too weird this game really needs to be played in first person yes yes well i will say the pinnacle moment for me and i'm sure for chat because they love to remind me about it like almost every day is uh i went to a house small house on my first long distance journey to go like into the northwest to for something i forget now and it was a NPC that started with a D. Like, I think their name was Drilla or Dresla. And uh, my little person, Lydia, or whoever the the, the, the sidekick was with me, yep. uh, went in there with me. And I thought, it was, oh, it's a shop and stuff. Oh, there's some stuff to buy, but I'm not going to steal them. And I heard some dialogue, but, like, it sounded neutral. Uh, the, the person in the house started just attacking me. I was like, what? What's going on here? And little did I know my sidekick got killed. They didn't even know that. Go run outside. I'm freaking out because, like, I'm not doing enough damage. Like, okay, I'm not supposed to be here. I guess I did something wrong. I'm going to run off now. Chasing me like mad <laughs> aggro, flying play balls. Chasing me until like, I'm running towards an, a snow-capped mountain. I'm like, I'm going to lose them up here. Dragon noise. I'm like, wait, what? Dragon comes out. I'm like, oh, crap. I just get wrecked. I'm like, hey, can I fight this dragon? And I went up there and got wrecked. And so Chad was, like, laughing, like, having like, a good time. I tried to go fight the, the, the NPC again a few more times. Completely failed. I even with cheese strats, I'm like, huh, I have a crazy idea. And, like, chat, like, I think chat knew there was a mo- moment the game truly clicked with me was when I was like, I'm going to go aggro the dragon after, by, or I'm going to aggro the NPC out of the house. When I found out the NPC would follow me out of the house, like, here we go. Out of the house, I'm going to run over the dragon, aggro dragon, will they fight each other? Yes. And yes, yes, after, like, six failed attempts, they finally started fighting each other. And I was like, Okay, here we go. I was like, the, the amount of cheese I can do in this game yeah. speaks volumes oh, yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. When they told me there's some like sloth looking like Yeti monster just <laughs> yeah, over that, yeah. like Domino, you're too like it regens health, you can't do it. I found a spot and they're like, that's not gonna work. And like I failed like three or four times and I found another spot and they killed it. And this guy was like, Yo, I didn't know you could actually do that at that level. What? And I was like, Alright, I get the I get this game. I never thought about it before. But it makes so much sense. <laughs> the the open sandbox nature of Skyrim and the stubbornness of Damiani is like a beautiful marriage. Yeah. Like it makes hearing these stories, it makes so much sense. Um and yeah, you're you're really reminding me of how creative you can get in that game mm-hmm. and, and like the kind of stories that come out of it. And that's ah that's so cool. Uh Brandon, it's funny because I feel like 
Skyrim slash Elder Scrolls in general is a series that is like made for you. When I think about everything that you tend to be able to praise or get sucked into, like Skyrim checks all those boxes, but I've never, like I, I was at Game Trailers when Skyrim came out and I don't remember you like getting obsessed with it. I don't remember you talking about it a lot. Hmm. Where do you, where do you stand? Obsessed. You are obsessed. Oh man, I played okay. Skyrim like crazy. Okay. I got more into the DLC of Oblivion. I think I like missed out on the last couple DLCs that were released for Skyrim, but it was just because the nature of my job. I was right. just like just right. wrapped up in something else. It had nothing to do with Skyrim not being quality. And the remaster, I think I played for like I think I streamed like an hour or two, and was like oh, tempted to go back in mm-hmm. VR. Like oh, like I, I I don't think I don't know. If, hats off to anybody who does a full Skyrim playthrough in VR. That's intense. Yeah, who does like 80, 60 to eighty hours in VR? That's that's pretty. Ooh. That's insane. Um, but uh, I, got, I got a copy of it. Super tempted to just go in because we were talking before, like Mage. Uh, I n- never ever play whether it's third person or side scrolling or anything. I'm o- almost always melee or uh, ranged with a bow. Um, but when I went into when uh, and I played Morrowind way back in the day, appreciated Morrowind for what it was, but didn't get obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And then Oblivion was just I was so obsessed with that game, and I didn't realize I thought like the bow was like a side thing, like oh, I'm gonna have to do melee and then just kind of supplant with the bow. And then I realized like can I just use the bow all the time? Like yep. oh man, so I like went into Skyrim being like nope. And they were like here's your sword, I'm like get it on my face. Like here's your shield, like nope. And it was so great just to go at bosses that were like around the corner, like, I'm in this room. And I'm like, I know. And like, I feel like they're <laughs> super playing into the brand fantasy because then you get like that slow motion, those six shots. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, so there, there's a lot of like, you know, where you'll go into a hallway and you'll see like a skeleton just like in the corner. And it's like, oh, I wonder if that guy's going to pop yeah. out of the wall. <laughs> so I just like yeah. arrow drawn waiting. And he's yeah. like, I'm coming out of the wall. And I'm like, arrow, arrow, get out of my yeah, face. Man, man. Like, Very nice. So. I, that's one of my favorite things about that, that uh, you can really pick your, your style of play and just commit to that and just do that the entire time. I yeah. think through Skyrim, I, I never swung a sword or cast a spell with the exception of like health or maybe like a boss or two that required it. But uh, yeah, loved, 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 loved Skyrim. Um, it happens with me sometimes. I think it happens with you even more frequently. And I love having you on to talk about those experiences because it I would say maybe once twice maybe three times a year there are games that brandon treats like a blanket Mm. where it's like i'm gonna wrap myself in this this is all i do i do everything i know everything about it we don't need to talk about it because it is sustaining me on itself yes those those experiences definitely have it like dragos builders was that where it's like yeah yeah listen man like i got this (laughs) and like you just you and and it's always funny because like i rarely recommend those games like somebody said they were like hey i just saw dragon quest builders 20 bucks should i i should get it right I'm yeah like, well i don't know you personally and it might not right. be your type of thing <laughs> so it's, it's like weird because it's, i'd be like yes <laughs> it's such a deeply personal experience for you which i i really like and i think uh, i love having those connections with games it, it's strange because i think with this job sometimes that happens a little bit less frequently than i would like but like when you talk about something like horizon which is a game that you really like that yeah. a lot of us really like but like we sit down and we talk about it and like this is good this is bad those games that you wrap yourself in it's like Nothing is bad. This is fine. I don't need. I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to, to say it. like it is just. This is mine. Like this yep. is my world, and uh, I love that. I think that is such a such an endearing quality. I don't really have a conversation to spring forth from that, but uh, I'm very excited and curious to see what Animal Crossing on Switch holds for you, Ugh. if and when that comes to comes to be. Uh, anything else you want to say about Skyrim? I was going to ask, like, hey. 
how is this game six years later? It feels like Skyrim didn't come out. That oh, long I just ago. mean, but how is it on that thing? How's it on oh, this yeah, little, little that's rectangular a block? Question. Like, is it? Does it feel like the shoulder buttons? You do a lot of shoulder button. The primarily shoulder button in that game, I think. It felt, it felt fine. Uh, I mean, I tried out motion controls for a second just to see they worked. I was like, oh, okay, they work. Bye. Yeah. Because I'm not a motion controls person. So if you're really looking forward to that and on the Switch version, it's there. You use Joy-Cons. Do your, do your thing with that. Uh, in terms of, like, how is it and stuff, it's, like, still fun. Uh, it diff- obviously, especially on the Switch version, it shows it signs. It, Shows its age, yeah. Uh, and not just like in the visual department, just in like the the coding, uh, like the, the. I I mean I joked about it, but it is a thing. The Skyrim jank, you know. Mm. There, there's like weird things that happen. I did the. I thought I was being clever, but apparently everyone in the universe has done this. Ev- like since the dawn of Skyrim <laughs> in 2011, was taking your horse up a mountain and stuff, and like going up using a horse to go places you're not supposed to go yeah. and stuff. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, I'm being clever here, and everyone's like, no, everyone did this before. Yeah. Like yeah, this yeah. is old, but it's hilarious to see you doing it and stuff. And then like having my like getting off my horse for one second, literally turning the camera to look at NPC looking back, and it was gone. I was like, where my horse go? I was like, oh no, uh, like a deer running into like the the river. And the current swept it up, and I was trying to swim against it. Couldn't. I was like, "Is this supposed to be happening?" Went over the edge of a waterfall. I was like, "All right, my dear, I, I hope you have a good journey." I was like, "See you later." I'm I'm really jealous of you because uh, that kind of experience where you you think you're being clever and it's funny to you, like that only happens once. <laughs> like when Elder Scrolls Six comes around, you're not gonna have that moment where like, "Ah oh, ha ha!" I'm like, <laughs> not with my horse. And that's such a that's such a precious time with a game where like you haven't heard the things to death, like people haven't talked it out, like you don't know all about it. Like it's just kind of you trying something, like being able to feel clever in a game is so rewarding. It's funny because that's actually where like where I'm at with Pokemon right now. Like as much as I can on the side, I'm trying to like get back into Pokemon in like a real way. And it's like I don't the last like four generations, I have no idea what's going on, and there's like so much for me to uncover. I'm sure you kind of had that happen with with yeah. Brandon Place Pokemon, but I love that. I love it, it's kind of nice, I think, in video games, like having those things that you're like kind of on the pulse of, like, and then having something where it's like, no, there's like a decade worth of knowledge just to absorb yeah. or or experiences to have, and I think that's cool. But with that time, Brandon, you said the phrase for Cotton Frame Trap. Would you like to take a guess at what it was? It's been so long now, I don't sure, know. Sure, that's fair. It was performance anxiety. Oh. Yeah, I don't know which why. I talk about a lot. Yeah. I don't know why they picked <laughs> that at all. I um, anxiety about anxiety. the frame trap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, you, if this is your first time watching Frame Trap, uh, this is a weird show, kind of. We spend a lot of time just talking about games, our feelings on games. Um, but we also have this weird segment called Caught in a Frame Trap, where it's just kind of a nice way to break up the show, get away from game impressions, uh, and play a uh, a little quiz game, where basically I ask them five multiple choice questions. They have to pick the best answer, A, B, and C. Um, and this segment is brought to us by our lovely sponsors, uh, which we're going to get into right now. Um, our first sponsor, longtime sponsor of the show, very appreciative, is Our Ghosts of War. Um, I, I do kind of appreciate the <laughs> the joke that has come out of this. I I, I feel so bad because like I want to say it correctly, but people think I'm saying like Argo of War or like they're like, hey man, that game sounds really cool, and they'll give me a title that is totally not Our Ghosts of War, and so I like I want to say it. As precisely as possible, but it's been kind of like a funny conversation that's been going on on the side. 
Our Ghosts of War is a first-person World War II experience that redefines the survival genre. Launching with an unrelenting 16-kilometer environment and featuring an innovative multinational warfare system, foraging, hunting, salvaging, bunker building, NPC and resource management, and a deeply customizable job system, your strategic and survival prowess will empower you and your brothers in arms to battle toward multiple paths of victory. Our Ghosts of War is more than just another survival game. It's a love letter to World War II and survival fans alike. Follow the development of the project at Our Ghosts of War on Twitter for daily updates. Our second sponsor played some Tekken with him uh, during the stream last week. Nice. Playing Katarina, doing good stuff. Greg the Dark Knight Katarina. Thanks for being a cool dude, Greg. Um, and one of our new sponsors, and I really like that they did this. They're like, all right, this is the week two description. So we're like, yeah. give you more of the world. And I really think that's cool. Um, and so this is for Crestfallen, the comic. And this description will kind of give you an idea of the vibe of Crestfallen. As the dust settled and Reliot stood face to face with the two remaining gladiators, he knew that even the slightest mistake would mean the end. The roar of the crowd was deafening. He might just make it. The taste of blood in his mouth was a comfort. You can taste it. You're still alive. His opponents started their charge, and Reliot smiled to himself. This will be bloody. Crestfallen is a high fantasy comic book written by Chris Dybeck and illustrated by Luca Kekik. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, the comic book is a must for those that love cinematic fantasy action and comic books with traditional art. Visit their Kickstarter that is live right now, um, and links will be in the description for that, and you could even be a part of the world of Crestfallen. And I love, this is my favorite thing of the whole description. Chris would also like to mention that Shining Force 1 and 2 for the Sega Genesis are underrated. Yes. So, if comic books are not your thing, oh. give those gems a shot. Oh. They deserve it. Awesome. But don't hate on Luca for that opinion. <clears throat> um, another thing that I think is cool that I do want to mention is uh, that this is a hand-drawn comic that is really cool. Uh, this is done on paper, uh, not digital art, which is which is just a neat little thing. Um, I will be showing right now some pieces of art for Crestfallen, so if you kind of want to get an idea of what the comic looks like, take a look at your screen. Um, and I'll be doing that with the last sponsor as well. The Lords of Yonder, with permission by the demons of the Frametrap dimension, would like to share with you a glimpse into another universe, a strange, unthinkable dimension where Sega never stopped making consoles and there was never a bad Sonic game. If this is a world you'd like to live in, even for a moment, please listen to Elsewhere Presents Sonic the Podcast and join host Griff Newcastle and his guests as he embarks on the psycho-spiritual journey that is loving Sonic. Simply search Elsewhere on the podcast app or go to elsewhereshows.com where you can see pixel art from the games of this other world. I'll be showing some of that pixel art and the name of the show will be on the screen right now. Uh, I think that is such a great idea for a podcast. All right. So when I make these quizzes, it's harder making quizzes on a biweekly basis that you would think, and I'm a little bit worried about the difficulty level of this one. I think this one might be a little bit too hard. Nice. Uh, nice. So we'll have to see. All right. We could be trapped forever. Uh, this is called What Else Did They Work On? Ooh. I'm going to give you an influential figure, and I'm going to let you know what I think is the, the work, the game series that they're most well-known for. And then within the options, there's going to there's gonna be an obs- – not obscure, but they're less well-known for their work on this. 
Um, and that is going to be one of the options. Now, the rules are you have to listen to not only the the name of the person itself, but all three options, A, B, and C, in their entirety before you can answer. Got it. If you would like to answer, you have to whisper Hotake into the mic. The first person to whisper Hotake into the mic gets to answer. If you get that question wrong, it goes to the other person. They get a free guess. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Our first person is... Satoshi Tajiri, who uh, has worked extensively on the Pokemon series, uh, directed some of them. What one of these three things was something else that he worked on? A, Dr. Mario. B, Dynamite Hetty. C, Yoshi. (laughs) That was amazing. Damiani. I will go with C. Yoshi. Correct! Nice. Wow! Nice. Okay, Damiani's on I felt like a Damiani get. Very, very well done. Uh, one... There's actually an, uh, uh, a question that I changed because I thought it would be too easy for Damiani. Oh. The last question. Oh. So, But that was good. That was good, Damiani. All right, our next one. Warren Spector. Okay. Uh, I would say most well-known for Deus Ex. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one of these did he work on? A. Baldur's Gate. B, Civilization. C, Ultima Six. Otake? Baldur's Gate? Incorrect. Damiani. Please still whisper Otake into the mic. Otake. We'll go with C again. Correct. Yeah. Ultima Six. Our next one is... Hideaki Itsuno, uh, most well-known for his work on the Devil May Cry series, uh, also worked on Dragon's Dogma. The options are A, Power Stone, B, Resident Evil 3, or C, Lost Planet. I I realize I'm probably butchering some of these names. I apologize. Brandon. Resident Evil 3. Incorrect. Damiani. It's between Lost Planet. Uh, It is between... a Power Stone, Power Stone and yeah. C Lost Planet. I mean, I want to say Power Stone, but I don't know if that's right. Lost Odyssey being thrown in there is a curveball. Lost Planet. Lost, Lost Planet. Lost Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. Miss Walker <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go with uh, Lost Planet. Both of you are incorrect. Yeah. It's actually Power Stone. Oh, okay. I should have gone with my gut. Oh, fascinating. Should have gone with my gut. Uh, number four is Ken Levine, best oh, known for his work wow. on Bioshock. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. The options are A, SWAT 4, B, Deus Ex, and C, Age of Empires 2. Otake? Brandon. SWAT 4? Yes. Yeah! Nice. <laughs> wow. Yep. Wild. Whew. All right, the last name on the list is Tomonobu Igaki, best known oh. uh, for Ninja Gaiden and Dead or Alive. Jeez. Did he work on Mighty Bomb Jack, a Tecmo NES game, Tecmo Bowl, or C, Rygar? Uh, what was the first one again? Mighty Bomb Jack. Okay. <laughs> Damiani. A. 
Incorrect. Brandon Ooh. Jones. Ooh. Yes. Tech Mobile? Correct! Wow. Oh boy! We have my favorite outcome of a caught in the frame trap where both of our participants side. This happens a lot, actually. Um, but that means you both, because you neither one of you won, neither one of you has the power individually to break us out of the frame trap. So you do have to combine your forces and come up with a collective way of getting out with the frame trap. That can be some sort of gesture. That can be some sort of combined phrase. Whatever you think will get us out of this demon realm. We could do like the the moon get pose that uh, Cappy and Mario That's do. Very good. It's like how does the thing? I, I mean, I, they I, float. Like I'm imagining them floating around and stuff. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I mean, I know the music. The pose though. Just a happy. Pose. Sorry, the only thing that's coming out of my mind is sixty-four. There you go. Where That'll work. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Ben was looking, but we did I, it. I wasn't. That was on me as a host. I had a, I had a doubt in my mind about one of the questions, so I was correcting it. So I'm gonna have to consult with the demons because they see everything. They accept it. Woo! It's fine. Nice. <laughs> um. I also didn't write down the timestamp for Cotton Frame Traps. We're, oh. having, we're having Botchamania. Not getting timestamps is like brutal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you have a show that's more than two hours long, it gets it gets brutal. Truth. It just takes it just makes it take longer for the show to get up. But we've got more games to talk about. Uh, Damiani, I've already forgotten the name of the specific thing, but it is something within oh, Final yeah. Fantasy fourteen. So uh, this past week they this past week recently we Skip this right. Recently, they uh, re- released a new patch. Not a, not the incremental one, like the four point. Like they're in the four point series for Stormblood. Mm-hmm. Four point one was the first patch that came out post uh, expansion, and that came out uh, back at the beginning of October, and, or sometime in October. But their follow up, they've had a few follow ups, but the most recent one is four point one five, which introduced a new PvP mode called Rival Wings, and it is a MOBA-like PvP mode. And by MOBA-like, uh, visually doesn't look like a MOBA. It still plays like Final Fantasy XIV. Um, to clarify for people who have no idea about Final Fantasy XIV PvP, with the release of Stormblood, they changed how it works. They simplified it. So everything you play in the game normally of any job and class, the complex rotations, they stripped it down to like very bare bones, very few inputs to make it very easy because they really wanted one people to focus on like the action of PvP and not worrying about execution of combos uh, because some of the combo rotation would get a little too convoluted. Sure. Even the pared down version of Stormblood. But two, they also wanted to encourage people to change jobs, try out different jobs, and not feel like they had this huge you know, lexicon of stuff they had to go through to become proficient in that job. It's not like, oh no, there's like, three, th- sorry, three or four different like buttons you really got to learn, and you you got the basics of that. Is it like a MOBA where, as, like, you level up and then get stronger and new abilities over time? So it is a MOBA in the sense that people call people are calling it League of Fantasy as a joke. Um, that's its nickname right now because it's all about controlling lanes. It's all about controlling lanes. Okay. With uh, in the game they're called minions, but as everyone else will call them, you know, creeps uh, that will go out from your your base, which has your core, which is protected by a shield, which is generated by two towers. Uh, each team has two two teams of twenty four players uh, for forty eight total, and you're paired into parties of four. 
Uh, so you have four members who are part of your party, and you got to go basically defend your towers and try and destroy the other enemy's towers so that you can attack their core and destroy their core. And how you do this is you go fight over mid. So there's top north, top lane, sorry, top lane, bottom lane, and there's mid. And mid is where there's something called the generator, which generates fuel or your resources. And you, yeah, here we go. And you gather resources to spawn mechs. You pilot Gundams, essentially. What? Yeah, here we go. You pilot, uh, on the stream when I showed off, I told everyone not to tell Ben about this, because you literally pilot Gundams, like it looks like a Gundam model, and you go fight normal people, or fight other Gundam, enemy Gundam models, like to, you know. What? So basically there's, uh, after 50 fuel will let you generate one of two different mechs. One is called Cruise Chaser, which is a fast mobile anti-personnel anti uh anti-mech unit they will not do any real damage to the towers or the cores they're pretty much useless for that but they are very speedy so that they can outmaneuver pretty much any other enemy mech and they will easily mow down people like mm. you can't one shot a person realistically but you have abilities to like you basically have the speed advantage and the range advantage over any like individual person because you're so huge um the other mech this is really slow moving, very vulnerable tank buster that fires a big ass rocket that hits the core or hits the towers and does Huber. major damage. Basically, it's a Huber missile, yes. Like four or five hits from that will destroy a tower, four or five hits will destroy a core. Um, but as again, they're really fragile. So the point is, you want to escort them safely to their within range to attack the towers you know push shove like that uh same thing with the minions you know they hit the tower they do damage them as well but then there's a special one so these mechs are based on raid bosses they're literally the models from raid bosses from the last raid tier okay so you get to pilot them so there's the cruise chaser which is really fast the slow hulking one it looks like this giant like nfl linebacker shoulder pad on these tiny chicken legs with like the like these like really like like fashion style looking like two-pronged boot feet on each one it's hilarious to watch them but if you lose a tower you get to summon something called brute justice which is like Howl's moving castle looking like megatron or not Megatron, uh voltron looking like you know power rangers megazord thing that like it's pretty fast moving. It looks like the Kool-Aid man sort of for the red team. Like this is running animations hilarious. You could like shoot a mega beam across like almost like a large size of the map. You do a giant flamethrower that covers like huge areas that you just can't escape. And you just you only get you only get to summon it twice. So each tower that goes down on your side, you get to summon one. So it's basically like you know the the handicap basically like you it's a come from behind mechanic trying to help the other team from from losing essentially yeah. so you can't be winning and then summon one in like on top of that but yeah it's basically about controlling the lanes to safely escort your forces to take down the towers and then expose the core and then go hit the cores also the last mechanic to know about is there's a there's two cannons that any person can mount at any time by the core just trying to help defend and stuff like that so that's what I mean by MOBA. <laughs> if any of that sounded familiar, well, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling really mixed things right now. Uh, and the first thing is, this is one of those like game descriptions where like you're like, Kool-Aid Man, Hell's Moving Castle, 
flamethrower you can't escape where I like I'm having this strange image in my head that like I actually want to see it in the game to see how accurate my visual representation is. Uh, but also you told uh, a little bit of a story before the podcast started where you were like <laughs> they were using the term creep and I didn't know what that meant. And Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I don't I've never played a mobile before. Yeah. And so playing through the, the, the matches and stuff, they're they are literally called mammoths. The little like these like minion figures that are like these like these kind of like little tiny droid things that just march in pairs of two across the lanes to try and damage the other tower. And they encounter each other, they fight, blah blah blah. Anyway, they're called minions. Everyone like in the game, mammoths or minions is what the in-game refers to them as. But people who obviously know mobile lingo were calling like started saying like, oh the creeps are coming and stuff. Like creeps are approaching. I thought they were trash talking us i was like oh wow like i guess we're creepier what the heck or maybe we're because we're creeping up on those like yeah. i don't get well yeah they didn't really but i thought it was <laughs> us i thought it was replying to the player characters yeah and someone was like no it's the the little mini things those are creeps like that's the term everyone else uses for them because that's what they're called in every other game it's another one of the instances of square enix in final fantasy 14 renaming a term yeah their own special thing to not be the same as every other game for whatever reason, but just makes things... Everyone just ends up calling it what it really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also have to say, so Damiani, you and I used to live together for a period of time. Uh, when I came down here to to do the video game stuff full-time in 2013, and that was like right around the time where I was very into MOBAs, partly due to, to Patrick Morales. I was playing a good amount of League of Legends and some Dota 2. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really... I haven't really kept up with those things in a long time, but I remember desperately trying to get you to play those things, mm-hmm. and I thought it would be fun, and you just hard out, nope, not going to happen. So all we got to do is, like, the things that I want you to play, we just got to find a way to get them into Final Fantasy fourteen. And then Mario the, and Zelda. Mario and Zelda, and Zelda. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but is, it, is this something, Damiani, you're going to play more of? Uh, because you like it, or are you are you do you want yeah. to get some cool things that you can show off in other areas of fourteen? Or good, what's, that, what's your future that, with that's this? That's a good point. Uh, I'll, uh, real quick, uh, I did actually try and play League of Legends once. I kept running into runtime errors trying to run the client, and I gave up on it. Even How long ago was this? Like two years ago, like before oh. I moved away. Okay. And even Patrick Morales, like I was like, dude, what am I supposed? To, what is what's going on with this? Why is it not working? I don't know. Like, you, <laughs> do you troubleshoot it? Like he gave me all the real answers and it wasn't right. working for huh. whatever. So I'm on my computer. Now, uh, onto your thing. There is, uh, so one of the, there's a cool reward, but also I would say in general, the, the rewards that you get out of it, like tangible stuff is a little disappointing compared to the other PVP modes. Uh, there is a mount that you get. It is a. It's called the Magic Tech Avenger. It's this giant dark purple looking mechanical ape, and how it carries you. It carries you in its left hand. So you sit in its left hand while it escorts you, and it moves around like an ape on like land. But when it flies, it raises its fist. Like I feel it's like, like this is as good of a reward as they could have possibly yeah, given. With like a rocket pack behind it. Like it's like rocketeering with you through the air. So yes, that's pretty amazing. Uh, that is the primary reward. But other modes, that's that's strictly just for wins. You get a certain amount of wins, you oh, get that. So it's not currency or something? No, no Literally? currency, wow. nothing like that. Interesting. How many uh, how many wins is it? Uh it's a hundred wins. Wow. But here's the thing: other PvP modes have other rewards. Uh, for certain things, 
there's a, the the more aggressive competitive mode called Feast of Four v Four, like kind of tournament mode. Yeah. Uh, certain amount of kills will get you like a minion and a cool title, uh, or certain amount of assist will get you that, as well as wins. Um, previous modes uh, of the the large scale one, like doing a certain objective a certain amount of times would earn you a title. Uh, like there's one mode where you had to like uh, occupy these monoliths. Uh, by like interacting with them long enough to occupy them, and if you did that like a certain amount of times, you got like they were called like tombstones of like uh, knowledge or something, and you became like a keeper of wisdom or something would become your title, which kind of went along with the theme. So there are cool titles, minions, and mounts, all tied to it. Like it kind of encouraged you to go back and play a different way. Like oh, I was going for kills this time, but oh, I'm gonna go like trying to occupy bases this time instead. So. This is a straight up, hey, wins. Wins gets you in participation, gets you everything in this mode, which I, I wonder if they're going to adjust that also. That's where it's a little disappointing. But in terms yeah. of like fun, um, this is probably the, the, the most fun PvP mode I've seen for everyone involved. Uh, just because of how much communication it is forcing people to do with each other. Nice. And the amount of objectives you can do. Like There's so much different stuff you can do at any time and get involved with. That, I think, is, like, the single biggest draw to it. However, the matches are only... Uh, there's a timeline of 20 minutes. A majority of them go to timeout. It's basically whoever has the most HP left on their uh. towers wins. So, uh, I mean, there's a decent amount of matches that will end in a complete victory. But a lot of them go to the timeout. And it's, like, 20-minute slog sometimes. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is taking forever. It doesn't always feel like that. But it can feel like a bit of a... A drag, uh, especially. And I think you experience this in any competitive online game. Like I've heard stories like this in in League and Dota and Overwatch about. Yeah. You just get bad teammates and stuff like bad attitude teammates. I'm not, right. I don't want to comment about like anyone's skill and stuff like that. That's a whole different matter. But like bad attitude people, and it just compounds things. It's like it makes that 20 minutes suck sometimes. I've been. Uh, I'm not talking about it today on the show. Maybe I will at some point. But I've been. This is the first season that I've played competitive Overwatch, and I've mm -hmm. been playing more Overwatch more consistently than I have in the past. And, like, it is immensely frustrating when you have five people on your team, including yourself, who want to win, who want to do well, and then there's just that one dude, and, like, you need that dude. You need that dude to just do that role. And, like, everyone's being nice, and they're like, hey, man, could you please do this? They're not being aggressive about it. They're yeah. not hating on him. And he's just like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do it. Yep. I'm gonna sit in the back and play Widowmaker and not get any kills. And you're just like, if you just, oh, it's it's like a super painful process. But Brandon, I have two questions for you. Yes. The first is, and I feel like I've asked you this before. What is your MOBA experience? I was taken through League one time to show me how League is played. Uh huh. And I think the clicking was the major thing. <laughs> That that's how I move? I was like, yeah. ooh, I don't know. Huh. You know and, I, and I get that kind of shift that, like, this frees up your left hand to do a lot of crazy ability stuff. Right. And that's why your right hand is just going to be movement. So you weren't, like, a big, just based on the description, like, you didn't play a lot of Diablo or action RPGs no. or, yeah. like, Infinity. Okay. So it did not just, I, I, I had to, like, ask what Dota was. Like, I did not understand sure. the history there. So, like, had to had to research that when we got to it. Brandon, I know you wish you were playing Final Fantasy fourteen. Yeah. I know you you like how badly do you want to play it and when do you think that that is a bridge you will cross, if ever? Oof, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what I mean, we just had a major expansion that I thought they did really well from what I hear. There are a lot of really cool things about that. Yeah. But 
with such a time commitment, yeah, I would have to. It, it that would it's kind of game that would not only knock out other like another game, but several games down the road. If I sure. really would really want to commit to that, um, but it is tempting, and I do love it. And you talking about this reminds me of a lot of PvP that I used to do in WoW um, for specific goals and stuff like that. But I remember the big uh, area in, in Lich King that was like the big. Can't remember what the actual name of the zone was. Yeah, but like every, I think like on the hour, every hour they would have like a specific match that would happen, and everybody would all fly into that zone. We to just participate. To, I think we need to like make some sort of petition. I don't know what it is, but like when you said pushing out other things, you're totally yeah. right, Damiani. I need a period of like three months where I can play fourteen at the expense of everything else and like feel okay about it. But I like, think you need three months. I mean, even a month. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Like yeah. a month. I need like a month. Because every like do month, everything or no, just, not do everything, or, but just to like play through the story of Stormblood, get into the what the the ha- like because getting into the happenings, I think, is what takes the most time. Like what what is really going on with this game? Because I think like going through the story, you can kind of just do it without having a broader understanding of like the state the game is in. But like having that understanding of the state that the game is in and playing through the story and maybe even trying your hand at rating or whatever, like I need like a month. A full month where I cannot play anything else, but every single month there has been something where it's like, I cannot, I cannot yeah, miss course. that. That can't happen. I can't, I'm not willing to do that. Um, speaking of like making time for things, uh, Brandon, you were, we've talked about it before on the show, but like you were playing Fortnite. I feel like a lot of people are playing Fortnite, but you were the only ally that is playing it and has knowledge and understanding of it. And there's something going on with Fortnite. I don't know what it is. Fort Nightmares? Yes, it just wrapped oh. up. It was their their Halloween event. It was the first thing that they've done outside of the, obviously adding the Battle Royale, Battle Royale mode, which is mm-hmm. like, heads up, I'm not talking about that. I have, no, I have not. I've tried a couple modes. I enjoyed it. Um, I, 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 a lot of times, don't necessarily get vested in uh, multiplayer modes that exist for the sake of the challenge of being a multiplayer mode. Like, I kind of look for... Um, just other elements there. Uh, and so I really enjoy Fortnite because of the, it's, it's mostly co-op, the, the version that I play. And so that's kind of fun. And it's co-op in a way where uh, if you go in and everyone's trying to do things and everybody's off doing their own thing and they don't care and they're not going to help, it slows you down a little bit, but it's not that big of a deal. You can still do what you're trying to do. Right. But it makes it that much more magical when you get in and you get a really cool, cool crew and people that really know what's happening. And so I just want to talk about Fortnite Mayors really briefly because uh, – I, I think this year, one trend that I've seen come up in this year uh, that uh, we've talked about Zelda and talked about Mario a little bit, and I think they've done a good job in both of those games. But uh, I think I saw a lot of games this year that did a good job highlighting small things that are typically boring or something you collect just because you feel the need to. Sure. And it was really interesting going into, uh, I don't even remember the name of them. It's been so long since I played Zelda, but uh, just that there's like Shines. 900 of them in Zelda, the thing that you discover like all over the place. Korok Seeds? The Korok Seeds. Oh, Korok Seeds. So, uh, but just, uh, find, just the joy of even just taking a rock and putting it over there, just adding that one step added some kind of weird point of achievement to something totally. that, like, if I just found that in another game, in a Horizon, or something else, where it's like, no, 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 you just gotta get to the thing, and then getting to the thing is the challenge itself. Fortnite did a really fun job of adding in this this holiday, this themed event, and they've added these, but they, this is the first one, I, like I said, was holiday-themed, and obviously, Fortnite is you against zombies, and so Halloween's coming up, so I'm sure they probably felt like we should probably do a big thing for Halloween, and... 
they uh, there were new environments. Uh, they were uh, you know there's a lot of like collecting that you do in Fortnite. So you're running around these zones and smashing cars to get parts. And uh, that's one thing I like about it is you get like trapped in a house. You can just knock a wall down and run out the wall. But uh, so all of that changed. Now there's like these huge mansions and big castles, and a lot of the objects, even like the the trees, looked totally different. So everything was stylized. Uh, and I'm even getting in later points of the original launch game or early access version of Fortnite that the, the environments are, are extremely repetitive. So like going into this uh, uh, hol- holiday themed thing that was all these brand new elements going into these little huts and it's like all these little items like bookcases and tables that I'm searching. Even just those tiny things are totally styled just in Fort Nightmares. So right. it's this kind of like medieval times vibe to the whole thing. One thing that they did that I thought was really effective that actually I had like a smile on my face going through the whole thing was Ashley Birch plays, and I don't even remember the name of the character, but plays this robot that's guiding you through the game. So a lot of your objectives, she's talking you through it. She'll say 30 seconds left or she'll let you know like when these various things are done uh, through your session, which similar to the PvP usually lasts around uh, 15, 20 minutes. But the lore of this new area is you're basically trying to find their version of Dracula. And I cannot remember his name, but so all of these zones you were going into had a history behind them. And a lot of these environments that you were discovering and searching had this, had a lore behind it that she would update you on. And so here I'm playing this thing that I'm playing in 15, 20 minute spurts at a time. I'm trying to get a gold. I'm in, I enjoy this game just running around and shooting and bombing stuff by itself. So I don't need all of this extra lore. But I would have a very, like, free-to-play mobile game to-do list where they'd be like, find these different types of crypts. And a lot of times when I play these games like this, those are just kind of arbitrary names that they've put onto arbitrary objects and that's it. Whereas in this game, they'd be like, find, you know, place these megaphones in the environment. And I could only place, like, three of them and I had to do, like, 15 total. So this would take me a couple sessions to do. But every time I would put one these megaphones down... Ashley Birch would chime in with kind of a funny thing. Like, she's like, you're putting these down so we can bring in more survivors. So I put one down, and now I'm searching for another spot, you know, a little exclamation point on the mini-map so I can put down another one. And meanwhile, she's like, okay, uh, we're looking for survivors, so I don't know what the heck is wrong with you, why you won't come to our base, why you won't let us help you. We just want to help you. What the hell is your problem? And then, like, I'd put the next megaphone down, and she'd be like, okay... I feel like that last message that I recorded was a little sharp. I didn't want to be that mean. So we just want you, you know, and then like I put down the next one and she's like, well, that didn't work. So maybe I'll try this strategy. And it, I was surprised how much that helped me going yeah. through this process and re-enjoying like discovering a crypt for the first time. And I go in and she's like, oh, okay. So according to my log, this crypt was built by this guy who really liked to torture people this way. Well, that sounds kind of creepy, you know? And it's like, I'm not seeing any of that reflected in the actual activities I'm doing that's just completely a side thing right but I was really surprised like again just taking a rock and putting it over there how much that added to the achievement to the joy of discovering these 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 things in the world this so, is this is fascinating because from a, a place of total ignorance from an outside perspective just kind of hearing about Fortnite but never actually playing it myself it I always wondered like okay is is Fortnite just this mismatch of influence is like the people that are enjoying it because like they enjoy those core concepts that you can find in other games like oh now it's battle royale like do people just enjoy that style but from what you're describing like there's there's a ton of personality here and and, and smart design that like makes Fortnite more than just like those core ideas and that's really cool and it feels like something that they the developers might have felt was missing from the early access from the launch uh, of the, the, the first offering that we got from Fortnite mm-hmm. and so I think they might have learned those lessons really quickly and then going to developing this thing for the holidays we're like let's really make this a big thing yeah and they the reason why I'm talking about it now it's the end of November but they 
launched it like a two weeks before Halloween, and when Halloween finally came and went, I think they were gonna dump it on like the third of November, and like the fan base was like, I'm not even halfway through this thing, so they're like, okay, we'll extend it to the end of November. So I just like finally got uh, got to the end of it, but I was just amazed, like a little bit of lore, a little bit of jokes, a little bit of, of vo, even just from one character, just having one character constantly bringing up new things. Yeah, um, you can add things onto something that might not have enough value to 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 warrant somebody going through and playing all that stuff so sure. that uh was just a little i probably would have finished the darn thing anyway had it had no context no vo it was just super boring you know look at a couple new enemies right. you're on the hook yeah uh and so going into something like that expecting to finish it and enjoying it a little more than i thought i would i, gotta I was give, impressed i gotta give this a shot Good job, Evan. Fun stuff. like there's always there's always like one thing on a frame trap that i'm like oh yeah. i want to i want to put that feather in my cap i may get to it i may not get to it who knows but like that's 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 the I'm not making promises here that I'm going to play Xenoblade 2. Right. But I want to, Ben. Feather. Yeah. Um, this next one, I think Damiani is going to be... I'm, I'm curious about your reaction to this. So <laughs> the reason why I played this at all is because I had this moment. I had this epiphany. I was talking about this uh, with my girlfriend. And I was like, we've been playing a lot of stuff that I'm super enjoying. We've been playing Mario Odyssey. We've been playing Horizon. I've been playing a lot of Xenoblade. We've been playing a lot of Pocket Camp together. I need something where I'm not, like, collecting anything. Like, <laughs> I've just been picking up stuff in all of these games a lot. Like, I've been, I've been hunting down items in every single one of these games, and I need a game that is just extremely straightforward, you know, maybe super challenging. Like, we need something. And so we thought about it for a while, and we decided to boot up Mega Man 9. Nice. Um, and I remember playing Mega Man 9 when it came out, and my memory of it is hazy, my early experience, but I think what happened is I just felt a little bit demoralized where I'm like, oh, this is, like, really soul-crushingly hard, and I thought I was good at Mega Man. Maybe I'm just terrible at Mega Man. Um, and I remember just, like, not getting anywhere in Mega Man 9, like, not finishing stages and just kind of dropping it. But we played it, <clears throat> and we were finding a lot more success. Like, I was getting through it, and I actually think the difficulty of Mega Man 9 is, like, almost perfect, where you kind of have that pattern recognition, but you also have stages that like you get through just by the skin of your teeth. Those really satisfying moments where you get to the checkpoint with just a sliver of health left, or you get to a boss with just a sliver of health left. And even like exploiting boss weaknesses, I was fighting Pulse Man as Jewel Man and like using your jewels, they go by super, super quick, but I just barely beat him with none of that jewel power left. And that was really, really fun. Um, and I was wondering, because that is a game where you don't have the slide, you don't have the charge shot, and it's great. I'm like, maybe... I, there were definitely points where I kind of wanted the slide, but I'm like, maybe we never needed the charge shot. I don't know <sighs> if that's true, but it was just kind of refreshing in this experience. Um, and, like, the stage design itself is phenomenal. Uh, I believe it is Galaxy Man, where you have those things that you jump in and they like mm -hmm. throw you up into the air, um, where you... Uh, trying to think of like the best way to describe it but you have those things that like grab you and yeah, like drag, drag you and you have to like you have mm -hmm. no control and then you have those elephants that are shooting at the balls but when they try to suck the ball back in they suck you in too and so you have to kind of uh to, to, to avoid the the pitfalls i haven't we, we finished four of the robot masters so we've still got four more uh and then whatever comes after that but like i am just having a blast and a half with it I don't really have a ton to say other than that this, like, made the longing for Mega Man, like, that much worse. And I think when you're longing for something so bad, like, I'm kind of at this point with Animal Crossing. I think I'm kind of at this point with Devil May Cry. We're like, and definitely with Dragon's Dogma. We're like, 
I'll take anything. Like, if you just want to release Mega Man 11 and it's just, like, another 910 throwback, like, that's fine. I'll take that. I know there are Mega Man supplements out there. Uh, I played Azure Striker Gunvolt recently. A lot of people have been talking about Mighty Gunvolt's Burst, which I've kind of messed around with. But nothing replaces the real thing. It just it never does. Um, and so I'll, I will take any Mega Man, and the fact that we haven't had a real one in so long is disappointing. And Mega Man 9... Is making me realize that. However, I've also not played Mega Man 10, and so I, I can go into that. Um, but I don't know if 10 is better or worse, but I feel like 9 is like this beautiful sweet spot of a Mega Man throwback. Like, just in terms of design and like making it feel new and old at the same time, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's like, it's turning up all of the, the knobs exactly to where they need to be. I don't know. I, where it's like it's like feeding on that nostalgia without feeling reliant on it. Like it's it's still interesting enough on its own. I don't know. Yeah, no. I really I, like it. I mean, I, I think you we started with the uh, like. Well, is it wrong to like like this? But it has like no slide. There's no no, no sliding in this. We can't know which is. I guess that was like Mega Man Three. So praised for oh my gosh, you slide. This is revolutionary. How can we right. go back to not having a slide in Mega Man? It's like well, good level design. You don't have to. Have a slide if the level doesn't necessitate it, but it still feels challenging yet mm-hmm. f- like fair challenge. And I think Mega Man Nine specifically for me was a game where it did feel a little bit it did, like a lot of Mega Man games felt challenging at first, right? And I, it was there was always this hurdle in each level that once I got once you get over this hurdle, it might just be straight memorization, it might just be things clicking about how. The, the avoiding the traps like like getting past traps work uh like one key moment is in the level where you like swing the platforms and yep. there's spikes at yep. the end of one yep, yep, yep. and it seems like the timing seems a little weird and then like you just find like you like once you get that right timing down and like oh it's right there that, that, that's so easy to do like you, things start to and you start actually like you just see yourself getting better and better and when you get to that point where you're like i'm getting to this level like easily now and then once you figure out the, the robot weaknesses, like, oh, that wasn't a problem. I think there's always something to be said in a Mega Man game when you go in, like, just the buster-only challenge, like, don't use any power-ups. That's, right. like, a really good feeling. It's like, I could be that all done with... hard in yeah. 9. It's yeah. like, I could be all done without a power-up or something. Like, you feel really good about that. But even if you can't, like, just figuring out on your own, like, which power-up is, like, did I guess right this time? But mostly for the levels. Just, yeah, figuring that thing out, getting over that hump feels so good and especially when you can start stringing it together like i know all eight levels now i can do that oh i know all the like the, the levels beyond that like what's going to happen with those like you, it feels really good when you when all those like, those cylinders are firing in that game yeah and and going back to some of the older mega man games like the, some of those bosses are just really dumb where it's like this boss actually only does one thing they'll shoot out this projectile it goes this way and they jump and they might jump around crazy and so it's hard but it's not really interesting whereas i think about like concrete man in mega man 9 and he's got a whole theme and design around him where it's like he'll shoot these concrete blocks get up on these blocks because when he pounds down the force from the pound will immobilize you however don't get hit by the concrete blocks because it will also immobilize you sometimes he'll charge Mm -hmm. and so you can't get complacent standing on these concrete blocks 
rocks. Sometimes you need to jump over them. And it's really not that complicated to figure out, but there is like a design there. He's doing multiple things. He can mix you up, and that's really interesting. Um, and I like that like some of the powers, like Galaxy Man's like black hole, that you can shoot it, and then you can press the button again, and that's mm-hmm. when it will open. And again, it's not super complicated, but it's just enough to kind of make it fun to use. Um, and you were talking about like the stage design. And the stage that I was really struggling with last night was um, <clears throat> Pulse Man stage because it has those goddamn disappearing blocks. There's there's one thing that I hate with my entire being, and it's the disappearing blocks. I don't know why there's such a challenge for me, but they're, they're basically these chasms that you'll have to jump over, and you'll have to uh, basically time it out where you'll jump to this block, and then a beat will happen, and you have to jump to the other block, and if you fail, you'll instantly die. But the way that they do it in Mega Man is sometimes you'll have to go, like, two beats, or you'll have to jump up and have the platform appear underneath you. I've always hated it from the depths of my soul, <laughs> but as I kept doing Pulse Man stage over and over, I got better at it, I learned the rhythm, and beyond that, there are like two extra lives that they placed in that stage, and as I got better, suddenly I'm like, oh, I can go for those things where that was impossible before. There was an E-tank that I didn't feel confident getting, but then I got it, and it like helped me beat Jewel Man, or Pulse Man, and it's so, like, putting those little extra things that you... Like, not only are you just doing the stage again, but you're also getting new things, I think, is really, really good. Uh, Nine also added the shop. Or I don't know if it added, but it has the shop yeah, present. Yeah, yeah, Where you can exchange for Other stuff. Like, yeah, if, yeah, if it's still getting t- too difficult, right. you know, you can you utilize some of that stuff. Um, and talking about the Buster-only challenge, uh, that is... Maybe I just suck, but I feel like that is really hard in that game. Harder than killing bosses with buster is in other mega man games where like you just are not getting that much health down with each shot but i do feel like if you are exploiting boss weaknesses that's still effective enough that 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 is a a way you can lean on if you're struggling with buster and so damiani is 10 as good as nine because i feel like nine is really good i felt like 10 was pretty good uh, at the time like trying to remember it again because 10 adds back in the slide right I believe it does because I'm getting. I don't know if I'm confusing it with uh, the DLC of Proto Man in first one and nine. Sorry, not the first one. Nine added more characters and yeah, Proto Man could slide, but he took way more damage. So that was the trade-off. Uh, Ten, I remember like really liking the. I, I thought it was a little bit more difficult. Maybe hmm. I, I thought it had some pretty cool level designs. I remember liking the soundtrack as well. It also had a. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Had like Sheep Man or whatever. Like do it was whole play on uh, was it a is it a Blade Runner guy is it Philip Dick uh, the sci-fi writer mm-hmm. uh, the do whatever dream uh, do oh do uh, I want to quote the name wrong I'm not, 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 yeah uh, do robots dream of just uh, robots or cyborgs dream of electric sheep yeah that the name. Was, the, uh, like the Blade the Runner space battles, but like a yeah. tribute a visual tribute to that or whatever uh, I was like mm-hmm. oh cool. I remember like everyone pointing like everyone made a video about that when it came out. I was like, oh okay, that's being yeah. hammered to death. Um we played some of it on, on something recently or last uh, few months. Yeah, well, we did the Legacy Collection Two, which has uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, someone Xbox. did like the highway level, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that level. It was like I don't know how great that one was in the end. I wanna say maybe looking back at it, nine's probably the better of the two now. Hmm. Um but because it came out in such short succession it felt like uh, it was a, a little bit of a progression from nine, so it felt like it was a little bit better. 
but in terms of how they've aged, you were saying saying how nine and ten have aged. <laughs> Those are the most recent Mega Man games. It's a little depressing thought, considering they came out in like two thousand nine and two thousand ten. It's like, hey, they're re- oh, that's like nine, almost like eight nine years ago. Ooh. <laughs> And that was the last time I got a real make. Oh, it hurts. Oh, so it was like oh, it was just yesterday they came out. We just why is everyone? Oh yeah, we we got Mega Man Cross Street Fighter. That, that was a the, uh, that was a fan game though that Capcom decided to like package and put yeah, out. and it's it. I, I liked it, but it was not on the quality of what I'm experiencing in, in nine. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was like the best they could do for like the anniversary or something yeah. to celebrate, and they're like got permission to do it, and it was just like this is neat. But where's the next Mega Man game? There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Is there hope? There was something I thought there was said at some <laughs> fan panel, or not fan panel, uh, actual panel. It said look forward to December or something look for more for, news. No, I Mega can't. Like Mega Man news, December apparently. Get hype. Just make another one. Just make another X, please. Mega Man X Z Y. Fine, I'll take it. <laughs> um, it's that time of the show. It's time for the one, the only. <laughs> okay. Ooh, the dummy on his shake was really nice. Uh, I've been doing some thinking about the Nintendo Switch recently. Uh, and if you go back and you look at our early Switch, like, how is this going to do? What do we think of it? It's, like, hilariously wrong, and, like, everyone was hilariously wrong about almost everything. And I want to break this down a little bit. Uh, when the Switch was coming out, there were concerns about the launch games. Yeah. And how, like, this, it, it felt like it was going to be week out the gate because of the launch games. And I, I still think there might be some truth to that. Um, but then you saw, like, oh, hey, uh, is it? we got Mario Kart. Is this just going to be a port machine of things that we've already played? And then you get, like, Doom and Wolfenstein. It's like, oh, that's cool, but is there... Is this just going to be things that we've already played, and so it's, there's not going to be that much value there? And then you have a bunch of indie games, like you've got Stardew Valley, and it's like, well, a bunch of other people have played that. And what the what the, what my argument for the Switch is, I really think it has had an absolutely outstanding first year because I think if you look at any of those things in isolation, it seems a little bit concerning. But taken as a collective, and now that we have the benefit of hindsight, it's actually. All of those things have been touched on just enough. Where at launch, playing Zelda on Switch, there was enough to that game, and that game was a high enough quality that it carried us through to a bunch more interesting games to where, like, now we have Zelda, now we have Mario, and, like, those games are big enough and substantial enough on their own and unique enough that I feel like I'm kind of getting this quotient of, oh, hey... Where's the big new interesting things? Like, that has been answered. And then things that I, like, I played Mario Kart 8, but being able to revisit it on the go is really, really nice. And I don't feel like they've leaned on that too heavily. It's just like, I've gotten a little bit of this. This is awesome. 
And on top of that, you have all of these indie games. Some of them are new, like Mighty Gunvolt Burst. Some of them are old, but work really well on the whole design of the Switch, like Stardew Valley, uh, and a bunch of others that I'm not even naming. Like, there's a ton of great indie games on the Switch. And that stuff's getting, like, every week I feel like there's a new indie game that I want to check out on Switch, which is not something that you could ever say about the Wii U. If you look at the, the difference in release schedule between the Wii U and the Switch, like, there are periods where it's like, I feel like I actually have to wait three months between interesting Switch games, not just from Nintendo, but from anybody. And every week, or almost every week, or seemingly every week, we're getting interesting stuff on Switch. And because I, like you're getting something like Doom and Skyrim, I was worried that that was going to be same old, same old, but those games are of high enough quality, and it's been enough time between them, and I can chip away at them on the go, that it's like, no, this is perfect. And so you have this weird hybrid console that feels like it's making all of the right decisions, but previously, like, we were all just very cynical and wrong about it. Like, everybody was just wrong about the Switch, and if you go and you read those articles and you listen to our discussions... It's really kind of funny, and so I want to embarrass this even further. Now we're actually getting to the root of the hotake, where I think it's easy to get into that cynical game journalist viewpoint again and be like, well, what about 2018? I think in a year where you have Zelda, where you have Mario, like you're already kind of cashing out early on. When you don't have that in 2018, not saying that you're not going to have amazing things, does that first year look as strong and right now early on in the system's life we're playing something like skyrim doom next year wolfenstein on the go has a lot of novelty to it we haven't really been able to do that in this way before um, and those things are better than we expected does that novelty wear off a couple of months from now half a year from now 12 months from now like the momentum that you're seeing with the nintendo switch is this something that is going to last for you personally and you think just in a general sense? All right. Sorry, I thought Otake was uh, a misunderstood. I thought you were going like, to like speak the whole time or something. No, I, no. I totally, I, for, I totally forgot. It's been a while since I've been on. So I was like, that's oh, this, a is, fair this, is, this is just honey. bedtime right now. Yeah, no, I just... <laughs> I want to give context for the Hotake, but sometimes I get carried away with myself, and I think that was definitely an instance where I got carried away. No, no, totally awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I do see where you're coming from, exactly. That is, like, what everyone's waiting... It does feel like that's what everyone's waiting to pounce on. Uh, it, it's been, like, an ongoing thing. The Switch has had a phenomenal first year, and it's not even over. It goes to next March. There's still three months. Uh, three months and change left for what else could come out for, for the, the Switch. And at each milestone, there's just been everyone's everyone's been guilty at some degree at some point. People have come around, I think, and been a little bit more level headed as time has gone on. But there's still people who like to jump on what I call like the negative bandwagon for Nintendo because uh, probably from its history, from the previous generation of everything that went wrong with the Wii U. That's probably why everyone was so negative at first right. with the mm-hmm. with the Switch because everyone's like, you need to prove to us wrong, Nintendo. It's the onus is on you. You need to do. Uh, what you say you're gonna do, and and show us that we're wrong. And I think it was okay to be a little bit skeptical about like the launch. I mean, Zelda was pretty like having Zelda there is pretty strong. But each milestone, so it's like okay, Zelda comes out. What do you got next? Oh, Mario Kart 8. That's just a freaking Wii U port. Whoop de doo. That's your big answer for what's gonna carry us for the next month or so. The holy crap, Mario Kart. Whoa, they uh, did they everything's in here again. Oh, a few new things. Oh. 
It's really good to play this on the go. Oh, I forgot how much I just like playing Mario Kart. It's still a great right. game. Okay, cool. And it's like, all right, what do you got next? It's like, oh, hi. Uh, I mean, the month after that was like Ultra Street Fighter 2, which everyone's like, ha, there's Street Fighter 5 out. And you're talking about Ultra Street Fighter 2? And then even Capcom's like, yeah, this probably is a good sell. And it's sold. And Capcom's like, whoops. Uh, game sell on the Switch. Right. Ooh, you got, we got caught their pants down here. It's like, uh... We need to start making Switch games, but sorry guys, it's gonna be another. It's gonna be a year. We we weren't really prepared for this, so that was like the next one. Like, what do you got for us? That was that was Arms. Like, oh hi, uh, hi Arms. Uh, what's this game? It, 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 for better or worse, like it was like good for when it came out and entertaining. Right. New IP. Yeah. Like, Nintendo taking a chance made it work. Uh, it, as you saw, the lifetime sales so far, it actually sold okay. Like it's sold over a million copies worldwide. Then you had Splatoon two, which is huge and still ongoing. Yeah. Because it's awesome. Yes. And they're, they're still supporting that game because that is a great game that started on Wii U. So they're like, hey, maybe not everyone got a chance even on Wii U. You know, it's Splatoon 2. Like, we got to reintroduce people to this again who missed out on it. You had that. Then you had Mario plus Rabbids. Like, where did this come from? Oh, it got leaked. It's true. Whoa, this is this is going to be the dumbest thing ever. Really? Yeah. Mario, like, that was the next thing. I was like, oh, Mario and Rabbids. Oh, this is the end of Nintendo. This is going to blow up in their face. And I was like, holy crap, it's good. Look at this. It looks like XCOM with Mario and Rabbids. Okay, well, the Rabbids are dressed like Mario characters. Oh, oh, this works. And I was like, whoa. And then, like, then it was like, everyone knew Mario was coming out. That's great. But then the most recent thing, I think, was the, 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 the what people were getting skeptical about was like, here come the third-party ports. We remember Wii U. We remember Mass Effect 3. We remember Batman, Arkham, uh, uh, not Arkham City. Uh, yeah, Arkham Earth City. City. Yeah, and it's like, those games were such, like, lazy ports of year-plus-old games. No one cares about that. And it's like, wait a second. Playing these on the go uh, with competent ports it's actually pretty appealing to people, apparently. So now everyone's like, huh, we don't have that. So it's sorry, it takes so long. No, but you get okay. to your thing, and now people are like, oh, they all, like, I, I hate, I'm using a, a, a redundant term, not redundant, but overused term here. Everyone's like, Nintendo and all the party the developers blew their cooldowns. They got nothing left for us. There's going to be a long drought coming up until Metroid Prime 4 and that, that Pokemon Switch game that could come out who knows when. What do you got next year, Nintendo? You don't got anything. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Wolfenstein 2 is coming out. Yeah, it great came out, but you can be able to play on the go. So people like, And we've seen how excited people get about these games. That's one thing. Oh, uh... This Fire Emblem game that's coming out next year. We haven't seen anything really of it, but like, still announced on the docket. Oh, what's this? Valkyria Chronicles 4 coming out? Oh, it's also got Switch logo on there? Oh, right. okay. And then there's like rumors everywhere. Or third parties coming forth saying, okay, we made a mistake with the Switch. We're getting on it. We are. There are going to be a lot of third party games coming to Switch in 2018. They're going to more than carry it away, in my opinion. Um, and I de- Nintendo's definitely got some surprises up their sleeves for for 2018. So just because it's not all the the, the picture, the veil hasn't been lifted yet on 2018. My gut is that it'll be revealed pretty soon, probably in right. like next next month or two. We we'll get our first glimpse probably. That won't like shut up any of those like remaining naysayers and stuff. So I think at this point, to be fair, until Nintendo does something otherwise. People should try and I, I would like to see people try and have a more optimistic outlook instead of taking the cynical view because they're starting to do things right. The only thing they're doing wrong is stupid amiibo stuff. Still haven't like done that right yet, but they're getting 
better. They did better with the SNES Classic. Like, they're still not flawless. Like, I'm not going right. to be like, everyone give Nintendo a pass, be good. They, they still have their mistakes and stuff. But when it comes to the Switch and the software lineup for Switch, you... Come on, like they've right. done more than enough to prove right. that they we like we knew what we were doing this time. Everyone, trust us. I want to talk really quickly about something that I feel like is happening with the Switch that we haven't quite seen. I don't know if ever, but at least from Nintendo in a long time, where I think about the success that the Switch is having, and then I think about the success that the Wii had, and they're they are on different scales, and they they're completely different. But the thing that you saw with the Wii where it, it felt like it was fighting against itself a lot of time, where it was just this thing that happened and was so big within pulp culture that you had a large group of people that didn't care about the names or types of games that, that we care about. They didn't care about Metroid. They didn't care about F-Zero. They didn't care about these things. But they liked Wii Sports a lot. They mm. liked Wii Fit. And so it, it felt like Nintendo, I think, was too stretched out, where it was trying to go over here and trying to go over there. What you're seeing with the Switch is a level of focus that is super, super, super interesting, where the people that are buying the Switch, in my opinion, care a lot about games. But where they're coming from in their gaming background may be all over the place. I think because of what the Switch is, because of the awesome convenience of it being portable, I think that is just like a general idea that people who haven't played Nintendo games in a long time can get behind. And I think it's appealing that they can play things like Mario Kart 8 that they may have missed. And so I, I think this audience for the Switch, you have the people that are, are always going to be there no matter what, but you also have people that are like kind of coming back to Nintendo. And you have these weird pieces that are falling into place like almost perfectly. Like Octopath Traveler is genius. Here's why it's genius, because I think, in my opinion, for a lot of people, uh, they like maybe grew up with... SNES RPGs, but they haven't really been following JRPGs for some time. However, they have the Switch for a number of reasons, and this is like a perfect thing because of the style and way that it's presented for them to get back in. Fire Emblem is in like this really weird spot where it kind of exploded and people are more aware of it than ever, but they didn't have a 3DS. They're not interested in handheld gaming. Like, I, there's no reason why the Fire Emblem can't bring the rest of those people on board. Like, Think about this precious, weird spot that Fire Emblem is in. Uh, I think the same thing is true with Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have these pieces that are going to fall into place very, very soon. How is Pokemon on Switch not going to be the biggest thing ever? Where, like, yes, they've cashed in on Mario. Yes, they cashed in on Zelda. We don't know exactly when Metroid Prime is coming. But because of the ease of access of the Switch and how... So many people have it for other reasons. I think a lot of people like have heard about these things, and because they're coming onto Switch, they're going to give them a chance for the first time. Also, just quickly add, while everyone, yes, Zelda came out, it was a launch title. Yeah, the game was primarily developed for Wii U. Yeah, it, it was not a ground-up Zelda title for Switch. Mm -hmm. So whatever the next one is will be the first true ground-up game mm -hmm. for Zelda game for Switch. So they decide not to completely reuse the assets or, or whatever they decide with it. Um, it could be even more impressive if it wasn't held back by the constraints of the Wii U. Right. Mm -hmm. So there, there's like just that glimpse is like enough to get like should get you excited about like what's possible in the future. I mean. Every, not everyone, not everyone's even played Xenoblade Two yet. That comes right. out this week. It's like, hey, December. Well, what's going on in December? Oh, Xenoblade Chronicles Two. Right. Here's your December, everyone. Have a good time. And Merry, happy holidays. Like it's it's such a great situation for Xenoblade Two because 
they're, I think, not needing to play the other Xenoblade games in order to appreciate what is going on with the story and the characters. Like, you don't need any of that. You can jump in completely fresh. Uh, like, you think about Xenoblade Chronicles, how late it came out in the Wii's life cycle in North America. You think about Xenoblade Chronicles X coming out late in the Wii U life, kind of late in the Wii U life cycle and being out on the Wii U. Like, I hope and envision a lot of people will get to play this game that they've learned a lot of lessons from the previous two games that they've worked on. Like it just, maybe this is the time where Xenoblade gets way bigger than it has been in the past. I don't know. But Brandon, mm. what do you think about the position the Switch is in? How has it been for you personally? And how do you see it moving on from this point past this initial success? I thought I thought the handheld, the portability was going to be like a big thing. And, mm. and I, I questioned... Because I am not, I, I work from home. You know, I don't, I don't do a ton of traveling. Right. Uh, of the traveling that I do, very seldomly am I not behind the wheel. You know, like it's, it's very rare. And a lot of times, I got my mobile game, so I'm like, I don't know. It, it's it's probably mostly getting on planes or uh, uh, just vacationing and just being apart from all my consoles and having stuff like that with me. And I have had those instances this year, but I think. Uh, the main thing has been uh, demos, playing that Octopath demo, getting that yeah. free and being able to download that straight there. And I, I, I you know, I understand that those are uh, obviously available on other uh, consoles as well. But getting, I thought that was very smart for them to do uh, on, on uh, you know around E3 or some of the big events they've had this year. Octopath was hilarious because I went over to uh, that, uh, a friend's house and I brought my Switch and they don't have Switch and so there was so much. I mean, like I'd already shown them Zelda, but it was like it had been a while. So I had like Mario, a Golf Story, Steam World, like a lot of stuff to show them. And I bring up the list expecting to go straight to Mario and I see Octopath and it's like wait. Before I jump into Mario, you have to see you have just to see this game for ten seconds, mm-hmm. and so it's been really interesting the, the 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 varied experiences that are available on Switch. Uh, I mean, I just you know went past SteamWorld really quickly, but like that's without a doubt one of my favorite Switch games for this year. I think right. that is the best way to play that game, um, and and so I'm really excited uh, going into the the second year or um, you know continuing forward with the Switch and thinking of all these games like Oxenfree, I, which I had played, and I, I don't know if I'm going to go back and do another playthrough. But if you haven't played Oxenfree and you have a Switch, Home Run that is so perfect for that system. Right, uh, and and so to think of these games, you know, I'm excited for something like a what uh, what remains of Edith Finch to come to the Switch, and and some of these games that I, I might not have picked up on other systems, but I'm just like, man, if I can just, you know, take that ten minutes before I fall asleep gaming time that is only right now being occupied strictly by mobile games, and to maybe squeeze some some console games in there. Wolfenstein, I think, is right on the edge. I would that that performance does matter to me with Wolfenstein. I want sure. that game to look as good as it can, so uh, I might not play, but like Doom. Is a game that I switch might be a good opportunity for me to you slowly chip away at that game, uh, and finally you know get that uh, in my my the, the gaming library in my brain. Yeah, it's the, with Doom specifically, like it wouldn't be the first time that I would want to experience Doom on the Switch. Like it, I think Brad said like, hey, if you can play this any other way, please play it those ways. Mm-hmm. But it's fine on the Switch, and having already finished that game and really liked it. It's, like, perfect for me. Like, it's perfect for me to kind of slowly, casually replay that on the go. Like, yeah, I'm not going to criticize the visuals on Switch. Yeah. I'm not, my, my ultimate review of playing that game, if I play it on Switch, is not going to be like, it was great, but, like, visually, I was disappointed. Mm, Obviously, right. like, yeah, it's going to lack. <laughs> but I think what's been fascinating this year also is all of the things we complained about at launch. Like, once we actually did get our hands on it, we're like, what? No Netflix? 
what? Right. No, no uh, virtual console. Like, there's all this functionality that that uh, like I, I, it, like it kind of works with a stylus, but you're not really doing that. So some games that uh, I, I that were ports over from Wii U that like I'm used to drawing stuff like and thinking why why isn't there Netflix? That makes no sense. And then months later, being like, oh, they just didn't want to spend the money on it. Like mm. they just realized. That would be neat if it was on there, but do you need it? Like, are you really gonna, right. you know, eat up the two hours of battery life on the plane watching a movie when you could just watch it on your phone or watch it on your iPad or your laptop or whatever? There's so many other possibilities. Let's just let's let's focus on the things that we know we can do well that we need to do well. Zelda needs to be good. Mario needs to be right. amazing, and let's make sure we don't screw those up. And and I think they they did, and I think the Switch, uh, g- given that all the other things, crazy things, VR, and you know uh, all the amazing pub, you know, player knows battlegrounds, like there's so many other things that are never ever going to come to the Switch that are available in gaming now, and them just focusing on things that you can expect on the system that are going to play well. Yes, well said. <laughs> I want to piggyback off that completely because absolutely and that's kind of what i was talking about in my long-winded beginning rant where it was like well it doesn't have virtual console doesn't have netflix all these things that i would really like but it did this thing so well it came out with games and then it came out with a huge diversity of games and all of those games were really high quality and it's weird because in a in a weird strange way in the console landscape the switch kind of feels like this nice refuge and yes We've criticized the Zelda DLC, and yes, you can criticize like the Fire Emblem Warriors DLC. There are things to criticize in terms of additional transactions, but like when I think about like Mario Odyssey, it is there's so much to do in that game. It's so complete. It's so well made. You can say that with Zelda. I feel like you can say that with so many games that have come to the Switch, where like when you think about the the conversations that are going on with loot boxes and transactions, and yes, we can talk about Amiibo stuff. There are things we can point to, but relatively, in comparison to those other things that's going on, it's nice getting on my Switch and being like, what awesome, huge game do I have to play today? Oh, I have a bunch of options. Oh, I'm only like one-fifth of the way through Mario and Rabbids. Like... You're getting really, really high-quality games that feel like they have very, very, very little bullshit attached. And that is awesome. And that is, like, strangely refreshing in in our current landscape. Um, Yeah. I think with motion controls with the Wii and the Wii U, I think Nintendo started to be rewarded and started to see dividends coming in from being weird and from doing weird stuff and trying innovating in, in bizarre areas and constantly thinking, like, what, what can we do that we have never done before? And I think once it got into the Wii U, I mean, the, the Wii U has, you know, many problems. You can take that conversation in many different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people kind of lost faith in, is are they going to be able to pull this off? I think Mario and Rabbids was crucial. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that really opened a lot of eyes for here's this weird collaboration with another company that worked. Here was merging these classic Mario characters with another property that boy that could have gone bad and it went well. Here's a strategy, here's a, a genre we haven't seen, you know, Mario in before that is, you know, they're they're show, showcasing a lot of the the talents and the amazing things that they brought to Odyssey that they're bringing out to this other genre. And so I look ahead at, at 2018 and think, okay, if we get Pokemon and Animal Crossing and Metroid and Fire Emblem that's insane. What a year. That's a That's great insane. year. Because you can offset that. And so I, I, I think uh, what's exciting is, is like I said, with, with the Wii U of them trying all these bizarre things, playing Odyssey and playing Zelda and them going back to their roots and, 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 and really looking at the core of these 
these genres and how can uh, or not these genres but these franchises we're so familiar with um, these uh, you know kind of blueprints that, that you would the raw blueprint you would lay down for any Zelda game or any Mario game and and being like let's start there and expand upon that and make that right. richer and more rewarding and so it's so exciting to think of them making a new Animal Crossing especially playing this mobile game being like all right I don't want to think about this too much right but does this mean the next Animal Crossing is going to be you know just par for the course because well you got that other mobile thing so if you wanted some weird gimmick it's in the mobile game. Or are we getting some crazy ground-up Animal Crossing I think we're getting- that's going to kind of reinvent the system? And so I, I, I'm thinking about that, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed, just because it seems like the lesson or the risk that they took uh, with Zelda and Mario that has paid off, and hopefully lessons that they've learned right. applying that to Donkey Kong or you know Kirby or Yoshi, whatever franchises they have to, have to work on. And because we're getting these experiences that are so thoroughly excellent in terms of just quality of game and and presentation of new ideas the switch is in this weird spot that might sound like bullshit but the the when i when i when these little stories come out they feel like great victories in a way that i think like during the wii u it would have been like finally but here it's just like oh awesome like the switch is in a position because it, it it has nailed the core game part of it so well that like when Hulu comes, it feels like a victory. When Netflix comes, it's gonna feel like a victory. It's not gonna feel like a oh finally. It's gonna feel like oh awesome. Like here's a bonus because I we're already playing so many awesome things. I feel like when Virtual Console comes, it's gonna feel like this huge event, as opposed to a oh wait finally. Yeah. Damiani, do you buy that argument? Um, I believe Hulu's already out. No, no, Hulu's out. I'm oh, just yeah. saying, like, in the future when these oh. little editions come. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, the apps aren't Nintendo's fault. Uh, Reggie went on, was interviewed, and said it was uh, Hastings and Netflix. They're the ones that are holding it up, not Nintendo. So it's not, claims it was not their fault. So I, I don't know what the truth is <laughs> there. Sure. But if it is true, that just means, like, same thing probably third-party publishers. These other companies probably like, eh. Wii U didn't do so hot. We're not going to rush to get our apps ready for this. We got to focus on the new iOS updates and the Android updates on our phones and stuff. And the PS4 and Xbox One, they were probably like Switch, bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel there. Yeah. And now they're like, e- yikes, uh, we should have got something up and running on that. So they're, yeah, as you saw, like Hulu came and like, I'm sure Netflix is coming soon. Um, I, I So yeah, that's all to them. Uh the virtual console thing will be interesting. Uh, that's the one thing you didn't mention that uh, has been discussed in the past uh, pretty in depth, like what's going on with there. I mean, there's everything that runs the gamut of every everything from Nintendo just wanted to clear the path for the, the, the classic system series, NES Classic, SNES Classic, to have room to breathe and not cannibalize their, their own sales by having a virtual console on the Switch as well as NES and NES, SNES Classics. Uh, I mean, I've seen counter arguments that saying that not everyone who's interested in SAS and NES classic is also gonna have a switch like vice versa like they're back and forth who knows the truth of that but I do find it a little bit interesting about whenever they do release the virtual console service what it will be closer to it sounds like it's not going to be what they've done in the past right. sounds more like it's gonna be a service or subscription based like you know service and you might have access to a catalog, which seems to be like the trend that you know Microsoft's already do, been doing. That PlayStation does have you have PSN Plus, you have a Gold Count. You get access to some of the library, like either each month you get certain games or you get access to like a, a nice backlog. Uh, and I think Nintendo's trying to figure out what they want to do with that. I think they need to get it right as well. 
because they have been they got they did get a little bit of flack for the Wii Virtual Console. It wasn't like the best. I think no, the, it was. The, I'm gonna say it was awful. Like yeah, <laughs> because it was the the Wii Virtual Console has really great things on it, but it was updated so slowly and so infrequently that it just like the Wii U itself, it just was constantly draining its own momentum. Like with the subscription service, you kind of create the expectation of, you know, every week or every month or whatever regular interval of time, we're going to change it out and it's going to be exciting. We're going to like make you earn that monthly fee. That's like, that's what it has to be. But then I think about because we've already done multiple consoles now with virtual console, like not that it is amazing, but how excited are you going to be to download the original Mario Brothers for the tenth time? Like, it has to be a selection of software that makes you want to jump in in the first place, right? Or at least has to be a, a, a volume large enough that it feels like it's worth the value. I also feel like they have an opportunity with the Switch to have all the virtual console systems under one banner, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's been splintered on 3DS and, and Wii U and Wii before it. There, there have been certain systems libraries available on one or more of those platforms but not all of them have been on just one platform wii u did not have all of the uh, all the systems on there 3ds did not have all the systems on there so it'd be nice if switch has everything on there right um has n64 has you know everything up to n64 and console maybe even gamecube because that was like the longest running rumor was that gamecube games would be coming digitally to switch which is a whole other thing that like they could tap into is like just doing like easy. Uh, we keep talking about like oh, Mario Kart Eight was could potentially just been like an, a cheap lazy port. It wasn't, but and I'm saying these are gonna be cheap and lazy either. But GameCube games are right for being re released because that system also wasn't the greatest selling system either. Just right. like the Wii U had some really amazing games on it. Yeah, uh, we were singing the praises of Sunshine earlier, but right. holy crap, the GameCube library. It's pretty good. Yeah. And bring him out. Maybe even just up-resing him to 720, like the lowest HD possible. Yeah. Just to make him look nice on the on the Switch screen if you're playing undocked or just decent on your TV would be a huge boon to, to, to that service. Um, but, yeah, having everything under one account, one system. So, you have, like, going forward, it's like, hey, just keep this account going forward like you have on Xbox and our PlayStation. Those games always go with you. You're not going to have to worry about buying them again or something, which... Everyone keeps accusing Nintendo. That's the reason they keep doing this over and over is to make you rebuy right. Mario for the eighth. But this is their time. this yeah. is their time to make it right. Yeah, yeah. And if it's a subscription thing, it's like, hey, uh, you just come and go, pay as you go as you please. You know, you get access to it, you leave, you, you nothing lost. You know, Brandon, this is going to be the the last question of the Hotake. Oh. You have to name one thing that you personally, as Brandon Jones, not as a, a game industry commentator, but you as Brandon Jones, what is the one thing above all else that you want to see from the Switch specifically in 2018? Animal Crossing. Not to be repetitive, but yeah, right. that's that's my a, a number one game. No doubt. Now, I, obviously you have a deep love for Animal Crossing, but above Metroid Prime 4, about, yep. above any like dream suite virtual mm-hmm. console, it is Animal Crossing. Yep. Why? Why? Why do you think you need it now more than ever? Well, it's, it's kind of like when I talked about not playing on Wii because I didn't feel at the time when City Folk came out. I'm like, it's not time. It's not time to really get into this. Do you and, do like re- <laughs> Animal Crossing rituals where it's like, ah, the stars are aligned in such a way that now it feels I that way. It, you know, like, Tom Nook's face. But in I the just star, like, yeah. I did, like I didn't have enough friends that were owned Wiis uh, that were mm. interested at the time and. Uh, uh, 3DS, I felt, 
I was excited when it came out on 3DS. I, I got my own personal enjoyment out of that, but I didn't have like, there were a couple people at work, but it was always the question of like, oh, okay, can you get that? It's like, oh, I didn't bring my 3DS today. It's like, bring your 3DS every day. There's no day. You should bring your 3DS every day. I need those street passes. I need those puzzle pieces. I need the participation in Animal Crossing New Leaf. And I feel there, there's so much excitement around this console. And I and, and yeah. I'm uh, like I said, I, I love Mario, I love Zelda, I love these other franchises, but I, I probably haven't been as committed to a franchise since I first was introduced to it from Nintendo that, that I have been with Animal Crossing. And it's so important. Uh, my, my love of Zelda is kind of selfish. Like I just I, I, I loved going through that world and experience the adventure that I had. Right. But I'm so excited to share uh, um, these games to, to maybe introduce Animal Crossing to a lot of people that were really excited about Switch but have not gotten into that game. Right. And and decide before I go in, I am going to make time. I am going to spend a half an hour of my life every day, you know, running around and, and you know, uh, digging holes and shaking trees. Even with Pocket Camp, and it's nowhere near the level of regular Animal Crossing that I that I got worried or obsessed with this stuff, but I was thinking about it and I'm like, I'm caring about the price and what I'm giving to other players in this economy. Like, I don't get to, I don't really get to worry about that in a social way. Or, like, I don't, ha- I don't, in other games, I don't have that feeling like, oh, is my living space, like, interesting enough? Like, should I change it up? How often should I change it up? Like, I want to leave it up long enough for people to see it. And I don't, like, all of those things, all of those weird buttons that Animal Crossing pushes, like, nothing else is pushing that in quite the same way and i think with the switch where there is so much energy it could be i feel like i'm more stuck up about animal crossing than anything you're stuck up about it well now i don't want to share with you that like but just just in a way i'm just so snooty when people are like oh do you hear this is happy home designer thing that they and i'm just like no I'm not. I'm not even gonna try that. Like, all right. And then a lot of people like this week were just like, "Oh, it's Animal Crossing on my phone. It's so great." And I'm like, "Yeah, but." <laughs> so I'm just. I'm always that guy. I don't know what it is about Animal Crossing, but it's what I'm like. It makes me speak ill of Yoshi. All sorts of negativity coming from me. It's very uncharacteristic when it comes to so, Nintendo or just the industry at large. I can just envision you playing Pocket Camp and being like. <laughs> fine <laughs> <laughs> i mean that level of fine is is better than most things but right. uh, but yeah i'm just i'm so hungry for for that thing i got I got, like, I got a little french fry but i want the big mac yeah but when you get that big mac is is this is this snooty going to manifest in a way where it's like i am brandon lord of real animal crossing is like is that how it's going to happen or well, it's it's weird to be so hyped about something to have you know to to be so carry so much anxiety about it, and then when it actually comes, it's actually like a point of just calmness and right, and right. Uh, you know just relaxation in my life. You're like <laughs> you're like condescending and feverishly excited for one of the most relaxing games Not ever. To go fish. Yeah, 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 right, right. Yeah, that is funny. And just to loop all the way back around the right. fishing. In uh, uh, yeah, ooh, so good. Just tapping right where you want that well, thing to go. Well, do you do you like this as opposed to like having to work for it a little bit more? Uh, I will totally be fine with having to work for it if okay. if they don't change a, a thing about fishing and then Animal Crossing for Switch. If it's the same old, where like yeah. if you tossed it and that fish moved, you're out yeah. of luck, and they're a really strong current. But that first time, I like. <laughs> I like threw the lure and it was like to the side of the fish and the fish's like, Oh no, I got this and turned around. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like, the lure would be right here. And a fish would be like, what yeah. in the old yeah. game. So I don't know if that's uh, the, the promise of what it could be on switch, but we'll see. Cause you get, they got the touch pad on switch. You can touch that baby. You can. Yep. I want the lure to go. Right I hope there. it comes. 
All right, it is time for the last segment of the show. We got emails. Um, and I have to say, I really like this batch of emails. I think people did a good job. The questions are getting better and better. So if you would like to send in an email for us to discuss, please email askeasyallies at gmail.com. Again, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Our first email comes in from Andrew. He says, the problem with menus... Hey allies, I have a question about the quality of menus in games. My favorite genres of games are fighting games and RPGs. In both of these, you spend a lot of time browsing menus to learn combos and manage inventory. With the limited time I have to play every day, I am finding myself choosing games based on how long you have to spend in the menus. If I have to spend half an hour sorting inventory or scrolling through a confusing list of combos to learn the game, I may just choose a different game, even if I like it. For example, I recently bought Injustice 2 and Tekken 7, and I greatly enjoy them both, but I've been choosing to play Injustice 2 more often because I find the menu easier to read and more intuitive. Is this a problem for anyone else? What do you think makes a menu good or bad? I'll say one thing about menus that's popping up lately that uh, I, I, I would like most developers to do a hard 180 and rethink whatever is going on in your menu that's making this happen. But, like, load times during menus? What? Yeah. We're like, I'm bringing up a thing, and it's like, oh, let me go through those things. And I'm like, right, right, right. And it's like, oh, oh, the next one. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's no, no, no menu needs to be that pretty that it's slowing your game down. Like, right. I, like maybe if the game is still operating in the background, like, I understand I'm extremely naive when it comes to many aspects of game development, but... It's something that's been really fascinating, actually, because I rarely follow games all the way through early access. But to see the Fortnite menus get tighter and tighter and quicker and quicker. Yeah. So it's interesting to see uh, as months go by. But uh, that's hard out for me in a game where I'm going to have to do a lot of that management where if I hit left or right or up or down and it doesn't immediately do the thing and there's like a little bit of a delay that I have to like get comfortable with, like that's hard for me to do. Um, <clears throat> I feel like we live in a time where... <clears throat> There are some games that are really good about recognizing, like, hey, you do this all the time, so we're going to make it as simple as possible. Uh, and then other games that seem like they're not aware of it at all, but are good that you want to stick in with it, but you're, like, aware that things could be better. I feel like this didn't happen as much back in the day, but, uh, like, I, it drives me insane in art in RPG where I have to sell a bunch of stuff, and there's not, like, a mark as junk or sell all. Like, yes. every game, <laughs> you're going to make me do that. Put it in there. Yeah. Why don't you put it in there? Um, and just, I think there are some games that really focus on that initial impression, but don't realize like, oh wait, they're gonna have to do this like ten thousand times. Yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles Two is a good example. Uh, sending those people out on mercenary missions, they like do this animation where they're like, all right, I'll do it. And then like one of your characters is like, make sure you have fun though. And then they're like, cool. And then you see them sliding away. And it's like, that's that's fine. Like one time, five times, 10 times. But when I'm on my hundredth time, like just go do the mission, man. <laughs> yeah. Just go do it. You don't, you don't need to, I don't need to tell you, go have fun the one hundredth time. And so I, I do wish there was that acknowledgement sometimes of like how quickly do you have to do this i do think snappiness is a big deal we're talking about the the switch in the wii u i've been playing <clears throat> the wii u to catch up on things every once in a while like we've been playing uh, yoshi's willy world and it takes forever to do anything on that system it's a pain in the ass <laughs> but the switch is so quick and clean and unless you have the direct comparison sometimes you're not always aware of it but like just speediness means a world of difference and, like, will change your attitude going into a game sometimes. Uh, Damiani, what makes a good menu? Um, besides obvious stuff, 
I mean, I, I only think about menus when they have problems with them. Like, mm. uh, I feel like menus just, they just need to do their job and blend, like, just not get in the way. And that, that is what is a good menu to me. Mm-hmm. And you can go, you can go beyond that with the aesthetics and try and make something that looks like good. I think, uh, Sakurai, uh, Smash Brothers, uh, from Sora, um, it says it's like he did a presentation once about how like his wife actually is the one who does the menu designs because like everyone seems to like him for so like all the Smash Brothers menu interface apparently done by Sakurai's wife because mm-hmm. everyone's like oh really good design and stuff I mean it definitely has a, 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 a unique look to it it's very st- stylized um, I don't have any problems I never think of, I never think I've ever had a problem with the Smash Brothers menu ever um, but what I do think that companies could do pay attention to and address more frequently is because everything can be patched now and stuff. Um, menus are one place where you can be, you can be excused for trying to patch and, and adjust it later on to make it a better user experience or a quality of life adjustment, basically. And just if it, it's even the smallest thing in a menu interface, if enough people are complaining about it, developers should just like go ahead and like do something about it and like tweak it. And some of the menus I think that I like have gone through the most changes like that like that have gone through developer revisions because they listen to the community feedback they're like they're just so much better off for it rather than just neglecting saying eh, whatever it's like one little hassle like yeah those small changes they, they really mean a lot to a person because you saw like with our question here someone's deciding what games right. we're gonna play based on like that so you do have people who are gonna care that much about your your, your interface and your menu so yeah, I, I know you can do all the focus testing and test and just general testing in the world to make sure how it looks and stuff. But until you, the community gets a hold of a game and they start giving you feedback, you it's really hard, I think, to to fully see what everyone else is going to like do or try with your menus and how they're going to interpret the information there. So yeah, yeah. you just gotta keep open dialogue. I think Witcher Three made huge changes. I remember yeah. like four months later, like we got some crazy, or it might have been with the first expansion. I was just, I was like, whoa. And it took me a little, like, a couple minutes to, like, get, you know, get reacquainted with it. But then it was like, oh, this is clearly better. Yeah, well done. I'm actually really curious, too, the Destiny, like, ma- mouse simulation yeah. menu. That was interesting. Are there any other, like, big games that have copied that? Um, well. I've seen it other places, but I can't. Like, you mean just having a cursor where you're moving yeah, over and selecting things? Yeah, moving that circle wherever you like, want. So uh, you don't have to, like, bu- 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 I, I keep bu- bu- using this as an example, but oh, it's, like, literally been the biggest thing that I've been that. playing. Like uh, in in Xenoblade Two, when you're going over the map, you can like you have a cursor that you can go mm-hmm. and, and be like, okay, what is this thing? So yeah, I feel like a bunch of games do that. Uh, that is the only example that is immediately springing to mind. But Witcher Three also pops up in my memory though because I remember looking at the map and it, the 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 marker where you were moving across the map would like stop on towns. So if I wanted to like look yeah. over there, it was like like no, just zoom out, get over there. Sure. So yeah. Uh, it's, it's super nitpicky stuff. When it comes to gear specifically, uh, most games are very good about this, and I feel like it's been a general trend in this direction. But give me, just let me know at a glance, is this weapon stronger than what I have equipped? <laughs> if you don't do that and you're making an RPG, you're messing up. I realize that there's a lot of details that you want to include about your gear and that your gear is multifaceted, and that's fine. But once I know that this, in a general sense, is better than that, I will then go and I will look at it and I will yeah. figure out all the details. But if you don't do that, it it's it sucks the fun out of it and it makes me want to play your game less when I get a new piece of gear and I go in and it's like, oh, this is I shouldn't have even picked this up because this is garbage. If I could have just seen at a glance whether this was better or worse, 
I could have avoided it, and we could have saved that excitement for picking up things that actually matter. Please do this. It makes so much of a difference. I yeah. agree. It's it's interesting. I play Galaxy of Heroes like a madman, and it's interesting when they add menu advancements, but huh. I don't use them because I'm just so used to the dumb old menu that they did. Yeah. So like one was there's there's various currencies in Galaxy of Heroes, and so there's various stores you can go into, different parts of the game where you go in, and now I'm going to spend this currency, and they very smartly put a top uh, a bunch of buttons on any store that you're in, so you can just visit every store. So once yeah. you have that window up, you can just t- tap the type of currency on the top and switch stores. I still back out. I still yep. go into another part to go in. And then when I'm in the store, realize what I've done and go, oh, spend the thing, go back out, go <laughs> to some other store. Uh, it's I, I've had that exact same experience because in Hearthstone, like now you in your card collection, you can do a whole bunch of filters like, all right, I want something that's between this range and that range, and you can just make it extremely specific. But because I'm used to just typing just in the name yeah. and flipping through, I never use any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, our next question comes in from Christopher. He says, good day, allies. I would love to hear the panel's opinions on the quality of Persona 5's localization. I was slightly puzzled to see it nominated for Game of the Year at this year's Game Awards. Not because the game itself is bad, but because the numerous because of the numerous issues with its localization. The in-game, the in-game English has so many flaws that one man felt compelled to create an entire site devoted to dissecting them. As someone who works in the field, the idea that good localization writing might not be valued by gamers honestly saddens me. Love and respect, Chris. Going into Persona 5, I have an accepted level of I'm not going to get all this. Yeah. <laughs> that there's going to be some 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 speed bumps here on the way to really understanding what these characters are saying. There's going to be uh, my – one of the things that, that's tough for me to absorb whenever I absorb a lot of Japanese culture, whether it's, you know, uh, anime or uh, video games, is there's going to be sharp spikes in emotion that I feel are unwarranted or I'm confused why, why, why are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, and just a, a lot of uh, – a lot of attitude that I don't – spend a lot of my time consuming, and so when I eventually do decide, yeah, I'm going to invest in this, uh, that, that, that stuff can kind of be, be jarring to me. So I might be the worst person to try to find those little breaks of... of uh, uh, some of those things might have come across to me as this is just why this game is quirky. You know, that was just the way that they decided to say that. Sure. And not, oh, they made a mistake there. Because it's it's hard for me to point at a game not made in my country and be like, you that was a mistake. And they're like, right. oh, no, not, that was just that way that person talks. That's their right. affectation, you know? Um, <clears throat> I, I think that's probably the case for a lot of people, if I had to wager a guess, and I, I think that's okay. Um, going through Persona 5 for review, there were definitely instances where I'm like, that's not pronounced that way, right? And then doubting myself, and there would be these weird little moments like that. It, it definitely happened. But I think at the same time, I still think overall, the scenes that were supposed to resonate with me in Persona 5 did. I was still charmed by the characters. I was still affected by the story. I still wanted to see how it wrapped up. Like, it never got so bad that I was completely pulled out. It would be like this little needle that poked at me sometimes, but it was never so bad that it became ruinous to my enjoyment of the world, the characters, and the story. And I do think that is ultimately the most important thing. Like, while doing research on it and then having those own little needles, like, there are definitely problems there, and I think it is totally worth criticizing. I think that is a very fair point. But I still think overall, Persona 5 is still an extremely effective experience. And even though those issues are there, it doesn't mean that it's suddenly a terrible game. I can imagine that if you work in the field, 
it probably drives you crazy in a way that we can't even realize. Even if you're an English major. You right. Know, just, right. Uh, yeah, I, I also, you know, I, I even enough poorly translated dialogue that would justify somebody creating a website to criticize this 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 massive amount of dialogue that was improperly placed into Persona 5. Yeah. There's a lot of dialogue in that game. Yeah. There's a lot of talking, a lot of instances, uh, even, you know, not even, like, scripted scenes or you hearing people, but just, like, the text you send back and forth. There's so much personality and and uh, and talking all over the place that uh, I think were I to notice that, it would still be a small percentage of mm. the whole overall experience. Damiani, do you think it is weird that Persona 5 is being nominated for Game of the Year despite its issues with the localization? I mean, on one hand, I would say yes. So here's a caveat. I have not finished Persona 5, so I don't feel the most adequately equipped to give you anything that's definitive, even like a concrete opinion. So this is more broad general strokes here. Someone were to come up to me and tell me a person I trusted and said, Hey, this is everything about this game is good or great except the localization. So the story is pretty good. Despite that, the localization is definitely holding it back. And you were to give me game B, which, you know, excels at all those other areas i'd be like okay well this game was held back by one area or this other game was excellent in all areas i it gets in a weird dicey area so like my gut would be like okay what 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 would you want to pick that's better than it this year like what 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 do you, uh, how many games am i allowed to nominate in this theoretical thing and are going by the game award standards like there's five nominees or whatever it it, it just comes down to like personal preference honestly like this is like a game winning any game of the year award it's like a nice accolade that the developers and publisher can go tout i mean it's nice for the developers to get that kind of pat on the back but to us uh, i mean some of us maybe there might be like personal satisfaction in something winning it but like it technically shouldn't like influence like impact us directly at all like oh more like mario won game of the year or something like yeah, yeah, yeah like i get something out of it it's like no just like we had a discussion when we got this title and what do you do like let the community go and debate its greatness now and stuff or we'll debate it at some point uh i i yeah i don't like getting like worked up in i don't think one area of a game especially localization especially if you, like I, i'm curious if this person like that they like they also hate the story of it or there's like the localization was not good right so despite it being a good story still i can't excuse the localization like i'm kind of curious to get that perspective sure. but i would need to see what yeah what the other contenders are and i'm trying to go by like general things here we mentioned a bunch of games today and like in the past i don't know like gut feeling is no for so if i should not be held back from a nomination uh, for the perceived localization issues. I saw a lot of the discussion that went on when yeah. it was going on. Uh, I saw, I'll call them purists, who were just upset at the translation uh, effort, uh, the localization effort, uh, the pronunciation of some names. There were the def- people who came in to defend it, said, like, actually, it, her, the character is really from here, so it actually would be said that way. It's like, got into all sorts of weird stuff. And what's a real shame, which st- stinks, I do want to bring it up as like a defense for me, <laughs> uh, even though I cannot go into debt. Like having worked at, previously at a company that specialized in localization of uh, anime and uh, both television and uh, televised anime and feature length anime, uh, seeing it firsthand, the story is like 
I, I've definitely seen lots of different instances and cases and that it's not always so clear cut and dry as fans make it out to be. It's not always an excuse. Like some companies do use it as an excuse. I will say that they don't want to get into it, but there's all, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that just can never be get. You can't really get into all the time for various reasons. And you might not have all the full picture. So you like the, the reaction that some people jump to sometimes right. is devoid of the, 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 all the information you're, you're basing it on incomplete information, but it's not always their fault either. It's, it's this weird, imperfect situation. that just like everyone tries to make the best out of. And I would like err on the side of like, wow, persona five. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people love everything else. Like a lot about that game localization if you don't like it it seems like everything else in the game just excels so well that it's kind of hard not to give it a nod just for that like i i can name you flaws in every single game i think is a contender like i don't think that is the 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 worst defender there right it's tough because i and the reason why i picked this email is like i i do think they really have a point i think it is a good thing to bring up and criticize in in a way that i don't think is done and I'm not saying we do it by any means, but I think localization is not something that is analyzed with any sort of accurate, in any sort of accurate way in general in games media. And I do think it is something that, that could be done better. Um, but like Final Fantasy VII, not good localization. <laughs> I still think that great game is great even today. Like sure. I still think it can be enjoyed even today. And there's this, there's so many components of a game that, like Damiani was saying... Uh, also, when it comes up to awards, if there's the idea that that game I wanted, that game that I didn't get because I speak English and not Japanese, and this was not translated the way that I wanted to, but there is that Japanese game that because I'm fighting so fiercely for this to be corrected and to point out why it was done wrong in right. the U.S., to me, even highlights more how good that game was right. in its original language. Yeah. And so it's tough for me to criticize something just because it, one small part of it was botched you know, by people that might not have been the core development team. And so it's like hard to like, so no, sure. they deserve to, that dessert game deserves to be shot down. That, that is a really good point. Like the game is originally made in Japanese. Right. The Japanese version, like you, I would, def- in this situation specifically, if you put a gun in my head, it's like find someone who's fluent Japanese and ask them how they think the story is, how the, like all oh, the voice work in Japanese and stuff. Like I will, I will take that opinion over like over someone who's going over the English translation right. because no matter how good of a localization team you have you cannot capture everything they do the best job that they can to translate it to have it get the same effect in our culture and our language um, and I love this subject because sorry recently I, yeah. I got into the uh, rewatch Solaris uh, the, the George Clooney film that came out uh, Steven uh, Sodenberg directed uh, like back in the early 2000s uh, it was a remake of uh, a Russian film was based on a Russian, uh, a Polish novel of Solaris. And the for up until recently, there was only one official English translation. And the author, who is fluent in English and, and Polish, was just like, hey, the English translation, uh, especially the criticism leveraged against my novel uh, based on the English translation, like the, 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 they're basing it on not the best translation. He said there are, there are idioms in there that they're, they're judging for the quality of my writing that that's not how the idioms are in, in, in my native tongue. Like, that they, they got that wrong. That's actually, like, these criticisms, like, that's not how it is in, in, in the actual version, the original version of the, the print. So these criticisms that he had to deal with over the years, he's like, 
I, that's not how right. that you, you're basing on someone else's interpretation of my work. So the same thing here, we're, we're basing it on interpret the team's interpretation. I mean, they were paid. They're part of the staff of the company, the subsidiary of the parent company. So they're the ones who've been entrusted. So there's a little bit more on them uh, that like, you got to be like, Hey, they, they, this is their job. They're paid to do this. Atlas Japan trusted them to do this. So I mean, maybe they weren't happy after the fact, who knows, but same but it's still pretty much the same boat like it's not the native language it you aren't getting everything out of it so if you if you really want to like do it like go get fluent in japanese and go play it in japanese right. and then if you have a problem then then sure but i mean yeah th- like i don't know how reasonable that is but like yeah just many works just imagine how many works have had to d- deal with this because sure. people only have experienced it in not the original language, and they, they just something got lost in translation. Yeah. I think that was well said. Uh, I think that was very good points by both of you. Um, our final email for the day. Uh, I think I said last time because we did two emails that we do four emails this time, but we're actually going long, so we'll have to cash out on <laughs> that fourth email some other time. Uh, and I think there might be quite a bit of a discussion behind this one. Uh, this is from Marcus. He says, Hello, uniquely talented and knowledgeable panel. Video game journalism is stuck between art criticism and consumer reviews. The Game Awards categories exemplify this dichotomy. Best art direction exists alongside most anticipated game. Uh, one award recognizes outstanding artistic achievement. The other is lifted from industry trade shows. And although a few categories give the stage to name talent like voice actors, the bulk of categories seem designated to promote sales or give purchasing advice. Here's the best game to buy if you're a strategy gamer, the best game to buy if you want multiplayer, the best game to buy for your family, the best game to buy if you like action, and so forth. Between the financial realities of funding a big award show, the different needs of industry and press, the divergent roles traditional publications and personality-focused outlets play for their audience, as well as logistical problems like who would you even call on stage to receive an award for a best new gameplay idea, can there be a single approach that speaks to all aspects of the medium? What's your view on how awards celebrate or fail to celebrate the business, the hobby, and the art form of video games? I actually have an opinion on this out the gate. I, I have the benefit of reading these beforehand, of course. Uh, but my opinion is awards matter in a broad sense less than they ever have. Um, I've, I've been a fan of like video game media for a long time. And I remember in my younger years awards feeling a lot more centralized where by and large, like it was one game that swept most publications most of the time. Maybe it was two, like maybe like half of them got this game and half of them got the other games. But a lot of times it was just like you were seeing the same thing over the years as video game media has become decentralized where it's not, it's less and less about big company companies with like a lot of people where it's more about individual voices or a small collective of voices, you're seeing awards that are all over the place. That's why you're seeing more recently years where it's like this one game went over with these people and this other completely different game went over here. And honestly, I expect this year to be like that. And I think that's a good thing. I think this idea of finding this perfect awards show is, is not good for anybody because we're going to miss so much more that way. I think the decentralization of video games press or personality or whatever you want to call it is, is a much better thing because rather than big collectives 
who are kind of knowledgeable but not really knowledgeable about the things that they're talking about. You're getting more like you're if you're getting somebody who spends every single day playing strategy games and they come out and they be like, no, this is the best strategy game of the year. I've put 5,000 hours in this year. I can speak with absolute certainty. This is my YouTube channel. We're completely focused on this. That means a lot more oh, yeah. than <laughs> us <laughs> saying this is the best strategy game of the year. And so while it may be frustrating and like maybe the Game Awards is the biggest example, maybe it's not filling your every need, I do think there are more voices now than ever where you might not find one award show that speaks to everything that you're interested in, but maybe like end of the year discussions amongst like these five groups that you really like might fill you in the way that you want to be filled. That's what I feel. I care. I care. We're more, uh, way more about nominees than I do winners. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 just because of, to me, that's a conversation starter. I want to hear that stuff. My favorite thing is to to get into indie game or uh, uh, games for change. I believe is the nominee. I think that's an interesting category uh, at the Game Awards. You know, t- uh, stuff that you know you would want your friend to play because it actually teaches you more about the human experience or mm-hmm. uh, gives you a perspective on a story that there, it would be impossible to get in a book or a TV show or a film. But when it actually comes down to the winners at a lot of these events, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Because I know ultimately that's just kind of weird, some weird popularity contest. Like you got right. a lot of people who had very differing opinions and and that's just what kind of floated to the top. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. Uh, a lot of those times, a lot of decisions that I've been a part of for Game of the Year awards, it wasn't us picking something that we all agreed was the game of the year. It's let's just get out of this room. You know, let's let's, let's just like, let's just get this to a point where we all don't want to kill each other anymore. And then we're, we, we can just, you know, put a stamp on that and just walk away from it. Uh, I'm, I've definitely seen more of things win game of the year award that I've been completely dissatisfied with. Uh, not the game itself, but the decision to give it the award. Yeah. Last of Uh, us, Grand Theft Auto five. Yeah. Well, last was Grand Theft Auto five, uh, 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 Bloodborne, the Witcher three, you know? Um, yeah. Ooh, ah, Um, but, uh, and so I, yeah, that, that's a lot of times when people say like, no, that shouldn't have won. That doesn't make sense. I, I, that's always my first suggestion is like, you need to watch everybody's like my, my favorite game of the game of the year experience is whatever site publishes multiple game of the years is seeing a big list of 50 different publications Mm -hmm. and thinking who, you know, who, and, and a lot of times if I see the most popular thing, uh, if I see a Persona 5 or a, you know, Mario Odyssey this year or a Breath of the Wild, I'm not going to read that article because a lot of that <laughs> falls in line with what I think. Right. But that one person who gives it to Cuphead, like, whoa, like, I'm going to read that article. Be like, whoa, like, how are you going to frame Cuphead as being better than, you know, all these other games? It's really good, though. It's fantastic. You know, it's or, or near Automata or, yeah. any, you know, a lot of the Horizon, you know, it's right. like, yeah, I want to read your take on like, yeah, clearly that was my What Remains of Edith Finch. I saw somebody on social media say, What Remains of Edith Finch is the game of the year, no question, for me. And it was like, that's awesome. Yeah. I want to hear you talk about that. I want to seek out yeah. those bizarre uh, instances. And so I think it's something like Game Awards, it, they really want to, uh, Keely really wants to sell this as this is the, not necessarily one-stop shop of game, you know, game award ceremonies. Right. Because obviously there's DICE and a lot of other uh, uh, outlets um, that have been, you know, well-respected over the years. But... Because it, it, it is like the Super Bowl, they really want to sell it like the main show. Uh, I think that um, one possible sol- uh, solution is maybe uh, in like that Sony has done recently where they, or Nintendo, how they like 
slide some announcements before or after their big events where they'll have like you know the Nintendo Direct and then you stick around after and like oh there's Metroid Samus Returns right or uh, you know yeah. hang around before the show and then like whoa here's some crazy sequel to some uh, game uh, that I didn't know I can't remember what the first thing that they announced at Sony oh Guacamelee two you know like perfect for well, that pre-show uh, Spelunky Spelunky two yeah, yeah. perfect for the pre-show maybe wouldn't you know like would kind of make that one little corner in the back of the theater go yeah if you actually did it during the main show so I wonder if you could do that before the game awards have like funniest performance or like these other weird uh, kind of one-off things that uh, I would honestly be more interested in and I think would sure. be uh, would sprout up more interesting conversations. It's kind of hypocritical because we don't do this and people want us to do this, but uh, in recent years, like, I've really valued the, the Giant Bomb Game of the Year Awards because, it's, you're, like you said, I don't really care about who wins, but if somebody is arguing about something so passionately, it's like, I'm not going to let this go! Yeah. It's really, really good! <laughs> like, I, I'm, I tend to check out those games at just as much if not more so than the winner because you really see where they're coming from and why they're fighting for it so much like there are games that i really love this year that people maybe not won't have a chance to get to and so they may not win but i still think they deserve to be talked about and and you know props should be given somehow i also think individual game of the year awards like brandon's games of the year yeah definitely Damiani's games of the year ben's games of the year that's a valuable thing too how do you feel about Damiani? Award is Damiani? Too many awards. The shows. Damiani Awards. There's too many awards? There's too many. I mean, I think that's what the, I, uh, I would say this about the, the game industry is that at least in North America, or at least the U.S., just speaking where we live, uh, television has the Emmys. Movies have the the Oscars. We have, as you said, the, we have the Game Awards. We have DICE and we have the GDC Awards. Um, historically, from most people I've ever spoken to, so this is my perspective, uh, DICE and GDC are taken more seriously because right. they are usually viewed as more academic, more, you know, the more intellectual thing, whereas the Game Awards is more of like the MTV Movie Awards of stuff where it's more about the flash and the excitement and generating buzz and... It has toned that down over the years since it changed from what it used to be yeah. in its previous incarnation to the Game Awards now, which is Keely is doing his best to try and blend all those responsibilities. Because uh, if anything, I mean, he had a great panel at PAX South the first year I think it happened where he explained all the realities of making that show happen. It's like, I can't just make the Oscars <laughs> of game shows right now or awards because, like, the financial stuff behind it, like, all like. This is the reality we are in right now. The game industry is like, this has to exist. Like, DICE, like, they get members fees. Like, they, they got a lot of money rolling in for that. Mm. GDC as well. It's part of a convention. It's, like, got, like, the, the whole developer association playing into that as well or paying into that as well. Whereas the Game Awards, it's just it's just Keeley and his operation. So, you know, kudos to him to like, keep that going and trying to do that and stuff. It's just, but, like, I think the ultimate answer for, like, like someone who's looking for more meaning, like, a, a one thing to point to the three of those entities, I think, need to work out something to consolidate to have something. I think the the, the I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent, but like the, the game awards to me, its biggest problem is its timing, uh, because it's window, which everyone everyone finds out about the window. They like, get shocked about wait, why is this game being nominated this year when yeah. it came out last? Like I get, it, like people just get so weirded out that a game from last year can still be eligible for this year. 
And whereas GDC and Dice are like the very like they're yeah. very March, they've let all the games have their time to be breathed, be evaluated, had time to exist. So I think that like timing is one thing right. about that as well. But you know that's for all of them to figure out. It it will help the industry ultimately, and I right. think fans and critics alike can start to point to like, hey, this game won the one and only like biggest. I mean. Uh, what what uh, uh, the BAFTAs or like the equivalent like what would be the equivalent of that because they do believe awards up to games as well over there so right. I believe so I hope I'm right on that I, yeah I believe so yeah so yeah. like those are usually viewed as like more prestigious because like mm-hmm. oh you won a BAFTA that's like it's huge <laughs> so imagine if we had like just one big award show where everyone like all the organizations on the board supporting it all the developers the publishers part of it because that's the other thing like some of these awards, if you're not a member, you're not eligible. <laughs> and all these weird things. So, like, <laughs> the bottom line here, I'm sorry I spoke for so long there, uh, rambling. I, I think most award shows, just, like, they, they are good entertainment. Kudos to people who bust their butts off to put them on, like, put make them happen. But to me personally, like, I don't get, don't, I don't get that invested in who wins and who loses. Having for a long time, just, like, cool. Like, yeah. just... That's nice for the publishers and developers to have something to point to and celebrate, but like it ultimately doesn't change, in my opinion, the quality of the game. Like yeah, if I thought course. a game was not great and it's like one war, I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's someone else's opinion. That's that's all it is. I have to wonder if my increasing apathy towards the wars is now having participated in so many, where you just have those brutal, <laughs> lo- you just like have those brutal losses and you just have those moments where like, no, that's your one that you just yep. lose all faith in the process. Uh, Bloodworth pointed out something hilarious, though, that is slightly off topic, but uh, I, I amused me a lot. And that's the cover of Assassin's Creed Origins says that it won over 100 E3 awards and nominations. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. And like, nominations is just underneath. Just right. like, oh, you know, nominations. Like, that means you could have won one award and got 99, 99 nominations. nominations. Yeah. But it's, cl- it's classic. Right. Yeah. Well, everything gets a Game of the Year edition now. Like, right. The industry <laughs> itself is Fallout 4 Game of the Year edition three years after it came out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's bullshit. And that's going to do it. It's fun bullshit. It is fun bullshit. Yeah. That's the thing. Is have, have fun with it. Yeah. I agree. But I mean, I also, and we didn't super touch on this, but I also understand the desire to take it more seriously. And I think like Damiani said, there are avenues where that's happening. Um, but that's going to do it. That's going to be episode 43 of Frame Trap. Thank you much, so much panel for like, you really put a lot of thought into those answers and I appreciate that. Thank you guys so much for watching. I have no idea how many people stick around to get to this point. I don't know if it's a lot of you or a few of you. I'll never know. Uh, thank you especially to our sponsors uh, so much for your support. If you're interested in being a sponsor of Frame Trap, please go to patreon.com slash easyallies where you can find more information. Uh, and last but not least, if you want to write in, I'm really bad about saying the email for Frame Trap. If you want to email us for Frame Trap, it is askeasyallies at gmail.com. That is going to do it for us. Until next time. 